You're listening to Earnestly Speaking, the only weekly podcast that covers friends, foes, and anything that goes. And now, for your badass host, Ernest Owens. And we're back for another episode of Earnestly Speaking with your host, Ernest Owens, myself. (laughs) Well, March Madness, okay? That's what it feels like over here. We definitely have a lot of March Madness, not basketball, but, you know, just everything that's been going on this month. It's been a nonstop season. Spring is like finally here, which I didn't even realize was the case because I already kind of felt like it was beginning to be spring. I don't know. I just felt like spring was already here, but I never keep up with like the official like holidays of when things happen. Like I know personally I judge things based on like holidays. So like, I don't know when is officially like, I feel like it's officially fall after Labor Day, even though fall is much later in September, but whatever. To me, the kickoff of the summer is Memorial Day. Like I feel like Memorial Day weekend is like the kickoff of summer in my neck of the woods. Um, Winter, I feel like after Thanksgiving, I feel like, Thanksgiving is like, you know, the conclusion of fall, like from Labor Day to Thanksgiving. You know, Halloween is one of the hits, one of the fall classics, of course. But I feel like after Thanksgiving, I feel like it's about to be winter. So, like, you know, basically, yeah, after Thanksgiving, you know, you have Black Friday. You know, everybody's talking about Christmas. I'm thinking sleigh bells and snow. So it's giving winter. Now, winter might start like in December, but in my head, Winter is officially after um, Thanksgiving. So that's the that's my hood calendar. And I guess spring, I would say spring is like St. Patrick's Day. So that's which is, I guess, not too, too bad. I guess think, you know, St. Patrick's Day and spring is not too far apart from each other. But I kind of feel like that's when or whenever your spring break starts, to be honest. So my brother at Temple, his spring break was started like two weeks ago. I mean, his spring break is over now, but his spring break started, I want to say two weeks ago. So that's why my head was in spring. But that's my mental hood calendar um, about seasons. (laughs) But officially it's spring today or when this podcast starts, which is You know, March 20th, Monday, you know, maybe I recorded it around midnight. Who knows? Um, (laughs) But yes, there's there's a lot to catch up on. So uh, let's get into it. So the book tour, um, you know, this week, you know, March 21st will mark the one month anniversary of being officially a public author. So um, I've been taking that in. I haven't had a break Um, I've had nothing but great media exposure for the first month. It's been great. There's been lots of media coverage. There's been lots of book touring and book signings and pop-ups and, and it's, and it's continuing. Like there's more announcements. There's more surprises. Um, the book tour is continuing. It's ramping back up for April. So the way that I've been planning to do the leg of these tours, the legs of these tours, because it's multiple, um, the fir- at the beginning of each month, I plan to do a lot of the pro- the programming, traveling, um, you know, by plane and you know, getting out of the state, 
um, or out of Pennsylvania per se. I plan to do a lot of that traveling at the beginning of the month and then taking the rest of the month to do local nearby signings, but really just ramping up because all that travel like that, you know, I have to, you know, space and pace it. And fortunately, I haven't had COVID at all. That is a wooden table. I've been, you know, COVID free. I'm just pushing on through. It's interesting. A lot of people in my close circle haven't gotten COVID at all. So I'm thinking about, you know, Jamarcus and a couple other friends of mine who have not gotten it, fortunately. Um, and, and those who have gotten, of course, were vaccinated, fully vaccinated. So they are well recovered. You know, vaccinations do work and distancing and hand sanitizing and everything else in between. You got to do it all. OK. And staying out of staying away from you know, people that are not well. Now, I know that people are like, look, anybody can get it. It's accessible. That's true. But in reality, it's funny because most of the people I know who have gotten COVID can tell me where and and, and when, which says a lot. Maybe not everybody um, can recall for some people, but a lot of people that I personally know have been able to say, you know what? I remember I was at this party and I should have wore a goddamn mask. I shouldn't have even went, you know, or I, I, I stopped by this person's house and, and they were coughing and sniveling and told me that they were a little under the weather and I still decided to hang out and then they found out they had COVID and that's how, you know, so they know how to like map it, you know, and so in each of these situations, at least most of them, the people who, you know, were impacted said that there was some sense of ability for them to have chosen otherwise, but they still did. Not that, you know, there's anyone blaming people. It's just that they are acknowledging that. So I am doing it to myself where if I have an inkling in myself that's like, mm, this ain't worth going. This is a cattle call event. So many moving parts. Might want to keep this ass home. I'm going to trust my gut instinct. I'm not going to roll the dice. Um, but again, you know, everyone just needs to just, you know, be vigilant. Continue to be vigilant. Um, but we're in 2023. So, you know, come on. Um, but yeah, I, I'm making sure that I'm taking that time. So like, you know, the first week of the month I plan to do. And I plan to do this up until the summer. So I plan to ride this tour out. And so what I mean, <laughs> the summer, I, I mean up until Labor Day uh, or like by by like mid-August or something. I plan I, in my head. You know, I can't predict anything nowadays. I can only guesstimate because, you know, anything happened between now and then. Something, you know, the, you know, there might be more things to do with the book in, in a way that requires that kind of travel. You never know. So I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, speak. But in my head right now. I'm guesstimating rolling this out to the summer because there's been some dates throughout the spring into the summer that guarantees the tour. But then there's, like I said, anything can happen between now and then. So where I'm at right now is I'm trying to travel the the beginning of each month and then focus on um, in-person signings and pop-up events throughout the month around Philly and the area. And because I have other things to do, I have other work to do, things to write. More of that you're going to hear in a few. But, you know, I got I to gotta balance it because I, I do believe in balance. You know, I was having that conversation with a group of friends this weekend. But, like, balance is important. You know, having, you know, maintaining connections with friends and family and, and just people that you actually like. Because we give so much of our day and our time often to people we don't like or things <laughs> You know, to people that we don't, I'm going to say don't. Well, 
a good chunk we share our time with people we don't like, whether it's people, coworkers, folks that we, you know, do, you know, business with or have to provide service to information to an interview or whomever. We spend a lot of time with people that we, you know, that this is a clearly a working type of relationship versus something that's more social, more chill. So for me, I'm often, especially in this media space, in contention <laughs> with, you know, people that's interviewing me, like a Pierce Morgan type, or just the interactions of people that are on social media responding to shit. You know, that is that that's that there that's the the other world. But outside of that, there is the ability to just, you know, do the work and focus on the relationships and get shit done. So I do love the balance of having that. Like just being like, look, it's it's simple. Like I think sometimes people put too much. Sometimes it's just a nice dinner, a good brunch um, with friends that, that matters. A lot of people want to do road trips and yeah, and, and 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 traveling to these beaches and things and that's cool, I guess. But sometimes, like I said, it's nice just to have a moment where you could just hang out and just do your thing. Right now, I'm in love with these candles. So I have I've been since it's you could imagine the evening time. I have a eucalyptus mint candle that is so good. Um, it's by this black owned candle company. Um, it's called One Spirit. And their website is onespiritcandles.com. And I'm smelling this candle. It's really good. It's a, a eucalyptus mint candle, but it's um, a small batch hand poured with love. They say 100% soy wax candle, which it burns very slow, but it smells so good. Um, they're locally based. I got it while I was doing a surprise pop-up last week at uh, Mark Lamont Hill's bookstore, Uncle Bobby's. So to everyone who showed up in Germantown on last Monday morning, uh, thank you so much. It was from like 11 to 1. You know, that that nice, you know, little midday, early, like not midday, more early afternoon lunch traffic drive jam. People stopped by, got coffee and got a copy of my book. Lots of surprise guests and people showed up. I was super surprised. I mean, Dr. Ayla Stanford came uh, Darisha Parker, who's a state rep, my good friend Andre Carroll, Sherry Cohen, who's run for city council at large. It was a bunch of people who popped up that I was like, I didn't even know. And then a lot of you all who just listen to the podcast and or, or follow me on social media, who I never met in person, it's always been cool to like go to events and meet people on social media that you meet on Instagram or just people follow the page. It's just really cool to have those ex- exchanges. So that's like one of my favorite parts of the tour has been people I've known years ago that pop up and show up and I'm like, oh shit, I didn't even know you was coming and didn't even know that you followed me like that. So that's always one of my favorite parts. But then also meeting people on social media who just consistently show me love either on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram and other places. But the, the the see them in person and take pictures and, and see them in a way that where they they're showing love that is definitely like the best parts of this experience um and just just the consistency of it all like everyone's just been it's been really it's just i don't know it's been a whole month and i'm just so just love the fact that there there's a life this book is had his having a life of its own it's opening up so many different doors and conversations, so much stuff I can't say right now, but just, I just, this is doing everything that I had ever hoped for. And then stuff that just is like, okay, that, that, whoa, 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 this is, whoa, I didn't see that coming at all. 
it's having that effect. And it's, it's I just 10, 10, 11, 10 would highly recommend it. <laughs> Be an author of a really good book shit and a book that people want to talk about from all over like that. That's, you know, that's the recommendation. Um, you know, if you have it in you and I must say, no, I'm going to be quiet. All I will say is that, you know, I'll make a metaphor. And if you catch the metaphor, you catch the metaphor. If you don't, you don't. It is what it is. So a while ago, I made a metaphor that doing a certain thing was like having a child. You wanted to see if the first child would come out good. And if this first child came out good, you might consider a second child. Um, and you didn't know how soon you'll do it because you didn't know how it was going to turn out. Well, now, you know, said person talking right now is definitely considering metaphorically a second child to the first child they just had. It's a metaphor. It's not a real child uh, for people who don't understand comprehension clues. But if you're getting what I'm saying and you follow this podcast and you know what I'm referencing to. But I am considering a second um, child. I, I think I, I definitely I know. I know it's only been a month, hint, hint, of having my first newborn. But I really think. I, I definitely, I, I definitely am getting ready for, you know, I think a second child is sooner than I thought initially because I, I have it in me to produce another. That's the metaphor. And I, and I know what their name would be. I, I know what I would want them to be like and how I would like them to behave. Um, very much so. And, and after so many of you all who had been kind of, Talking to me, I was like, maybe I should do another one and have another baby, but I need to take some time. And I, I've been thinking and just reflecting, and I have a, I have a hunch on what I want to do. But we'll see, you know, because it, it doesn't just take one person, you know, it takes other factors to determine whether or not, you know, you just can't bring a child in the world any kind of way. You got to make sure they're coming from a good home, that they are properly provided for because if those are not the things and what I have to do, what, what, what you know what am I what I got doing have another child see this metaphor going somewhere if you feel what I'm saying but I'm saying I'm just saying so I'm thinking about it it's definitely in my mind um I definitely want to have one soon a second one because the first one the love that it's been getting is definitely giving me impetus to say you know what I could I could do another one let me do let me do one real quick kind of reminds my mom like when my mom had me. She quickly, you know, it, so that's where I'm probably going with this. Okay. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, snap. But, um, yeah, so I, I, yeah, the book experience has been great. Um, making tons of media appearances and, and niche media places. Like, I'm having fun. Like, so I was on the Griot, the Griot episode I did with Natasha Alford, which, by the way, Natasha Alford and I have known each other for years um, in 2017, I won the NABJ Emerging Journalist of the Year Award. Yeah, it was that long ago. It was like six years ago. Of uh, the National Association of Black Journalists. I won their uh, Emerging Journalist of the Year Award in 2017. So that was, it's going to be six years. Damn. So the following year, Natasha Alford won. And she was... At the grill, she's still at the grill now. She's got a promotion and she makes appearances on CNN. And we we were both like really cool with each other. Um, both won this award, but also just both 
um, had similar connections and both went to Ivy's and, you know, just doing our thing. So she's, she's just great. Um, she's a great journalist and she has a special that she does like a show on, um, the Grill TV and she interviews me and she has me, she had me on. It was like kind of like this cool, like moment, like, look at us, both of us millennials. And she's doing her TV show and it's on the Grill TV. Now you can catch the episode. And she's also interviewed by my book. And so she showed, uh, on her Instagram yesterday, like a clip of it running on, t- on the TV screen. And it was just me and her talking. And I was just like, damn, we come so far. Like five, six years later, here we are doing our thing, still strong. We, you know, cause the emerging journalist of the year world reminds me of like, you know, like best new artists at the Grammys. It's like, a lot of times, oh, see, here I go. Now, let me be quiet. Uh, you know, you know, like the Grammys, metaphorically, I'm just speaking of metaphors, is like, you know, best new artists. is like, you know, some people who win that award continue to do great in their career. And then some people, that's like the the bang and the boom. So people, some people I know will call it the merging curse. Because uh, in some cases, it could be a curse. It could be like, you win this award, it's a great moment, but then no one hears from you. You kind of, your career doesn't, you know, because basically... The plan, like best new artist, is that you get this award, and it's almost like a subsect of the industry thinking, okay, you're gonna, you know, we want to acknowledge you for doing great. You're gonna go far, like you know, when Meg Thee Stallion won best new artist at the Grammys, you know, she she's still doing strong. When Alicia Keys won, she was a great. Alicia Keys is, you know, she is someone who's great, um, talented wise. I mean, Adele won best new artist, and look at Adele's career. So it's like John Legend, another one, Mariah Carey, another one. You know, some Lauren Hill, but but you know, it, it depends. Chance the rapper, Esperanza, Esperanza Spalding, Bonnie Iver. Okay, they're a little bit better, but it, it just depends on who gets it. Um, but you know, I'm happy to be one of the, you know, the best. I'm not a Millie Vanilli girl. I'm one of the emerging journalists that was more on the, you know. Not Evanescence route, but <laughs> not well, Maroon Five. Not too bad for them. They won Best New Artist, by the way. Um, what would I say? I'm, what category I would be? I would, I would say I'm a Billie Eilish. I was a Billie Eilish Best New Artist winner, emerging journalist winner in that regard. Like the, you know, I, I was, I was hot with or without the war. Still came back, still hot. You know, doing my thing. I'm a Billie Eilish of it. Um. But, you know, I would say Natasha Alfred, probably like a Dua Lipa, you know, that, you know, Dua Lipa just, you know, just, you know, it's that phase. And Rachel Scott won the award. If y'all heard Rachel Scott, Rachel Scott's like a Adele. You know, some of these people who've won it just. So it's a, it's a special award. And some great people have won it over years. I think I've won it. Wesley Laurie has won it. Um, who else out here? I know Rachel Scott recently. Um, Tremaine Lee. Who is somebody who's out here? Tremaine Lee has won it. Couple of great people. Garrett Kennedy. Oh yes, the legendary Garrett Kennedy. Um, but it's been some some heavy hitters that you all probably know who's won it over the years, and one of those people. So you know, I think they had it right here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's 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 overall, it's just been good. I, I'm all over the place today. It's been just so much going on. But um, yeah. Book signing on Monday. Last Monday was great. Mark, we, we sold out most of the books. I took two books out the stack because I figured it was going to sell. The books were going to sell. I got but dozens of copies of books. And, you know, the first shipment came in. And so we sold out of the full shipment like that day with the exception of those two books that were signed. So I know Mark 
is supposed to be ordering more. Um, I know at Harriet's, y'all just have been going to Harriet's buying them books up. And so it's just, it's a seller. Like people are, you all are buying the books and, and, and showing love and buying the audio book, the, 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 the Kindle, you know, it's still in the charts. Um, I just, I'm just grateful. I'm, I'm totally grateful. And, uh, it's just to me what I've always wanted and, 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 you know, it's going to take more time to confirm this, but what I love the most is how this hasn't, this did not become a one week like moment that just was like here and gone. Like this has built a life of its own. Like the opportunities that I'm getting, it's just, it's, it's, it's taking a life on its own. And I just, like I'm thinking about some of the other things that's been going on in general, and it's just been so exciting. So I'm taking that time, taking that time, taking those opportunities to just relax and appreciate all the good things that are coming and just encouraging people and, and it's just showing up and showing out. But yeah, so, you know, so the so book is doing its thing as always. Um, other things that happened this weekend is coming up. So last Thursday, I was on City Council Live as the host. I was filling in for Charles Ellison, who is on a, a, a small, you know, hiatus for a minute. Um, but I am, I filled in for him last Thursday. And, you know, it was a, it was something that I was like, whoa, City Council Live is almost like the meet the press of Philadelphia politics. So City Council Live is, during the city council session, which is on Thursdays, um, hosting that show is like it's on WRD Radio, which is you know nine hundred point one AM. Um, great show, right? It's it's local, and it starts really. It's from like ten AM to one PM. So a chunk of it of the show is early interviews, which I do. I interview members of city council on the floor, and then in addition to interviewing city council members. I'm also discussing the issues that's going on in politics in general. And then we, you know, we do council live. So basically everyone in the room, it records live. So anybody on on WRD can listen to the city council session via radio, which is in streaming too. So it's dope. You can listen on the website, go to uh, WRD.com. Word radio, you know, you can find it online. WRD is the name of the radio station. You can listen to it live. Um, either via streaming on the website, or you can listen to um, you can listen to it on your radio if you're in Houston. I mean, not Houston, Philadelphia County. And then the session it ranges on when it's over. Sometimes it's over at like twelve o'clock. Sometimes it's like from ten thirty to like twelve. Sometimes councils, you know, session starts late. Sometimes it starts early, not too early, but. A lot of times it starts late or on time or it stays longer depending on what the debate is in the conversation. So this week it was a nice warm up. They they started pretty much at 830, ended around noon, but I'm staying on air till one. So I had a great interview with Daryl Clark, Council President Daryl Clark, where let me just say that interview was oh, it was good. It was I interviewed a lot of city councilmen. I interviewed Jim Harity. I interviewed uh, Catherine Grimmer Richardson, Isaiah Thomas, Anthony Phillips, um, Kenyatta Johnson, which was interesting. Um, but, but you know, just good conversations. What I was getting at with last week's episode was that I was of, of the of that show um, was that I was asking them that, you know, there's going to be a new council president because Daryl Clark is not running for reelection in the fifth district. Some people are excited about that. 
I call it democracy. I mean, someone who's had a long, long, long time in city council. It's, it would be nice to see another person get a chance. But we'll see how that's creating some problems in the 5th District over some things. But I asked him, you know, who was he supporting for the 5th District? He is supporting his former chief of staff, which his name is Curtis Wilkerson. His other former staff who worked in legal was a guy named Jeffrey Young, who's a younger guy. And then it appears that a lot of Democrats in the 5th District, such as Kenyatta, um, um, Malcolm Kenyatta, who's a state rep, um, State Senator Sharif Street, they're backing a woman named Isabella, um, Alicia, Alicia, I think her name is Alicia, um, who works currently in Sharif Street's office. But everyone apparently wants her. She's a she's the only woman running in the race, but apparently there's a constituency of people that want her as well. But it looks like the race right now is headed towards Curtis Wilkerson. Apparently, he's been getting the most of the major endorsements in that area from wards in the 5th District. Now, the 5th District is North Philly, which is experiencing a lot of um, poverty and gentrification issues um, and gun violence, of course. So there is a, there is it's interesting to see. Now, four years ago, there was speculation that State Rep. Donna Bullock was in talks to, posi- to pos- basically position herself for it, but it seemed like that kind of fell under under wraps or loop. Like there was a thought that, oh, you know, Daryl's going to retire then, which would open the door for her, but that didn't happen. So Philly politics can be full of people that make decisions, make decisions, and then sometimes good people that could have ran don't run, and then sometimes people, you know, it's just people's interests. But there's been a lot of things going on with that. I'll get more to that later in the podcast, but... There's a lot of interesting things happening over there in the 5th District. A lot of these district races, actually. Um, but, yeah, I, I think, you know, for starters, it's great. So the news I want to tell you all that has not gone public yet, but it's only here. I'm telling you all now, this podcast, I will be back doing the podcast for the rest of March. And we'll see what happens in April, you know, if the host comes back. But for sure, this Thursday and next Thursday, the, the rest of March, I will be hosting City Council live at WRD, 10 a.m., your special guest, Ernest Owens, on WRD Radio. So I will be back um, this upcoming Thursday at 10 a.m. and next Thursday, and then we'll see what happens in the, in the next you know weeks that come after that. But um, it's it's been an honor hosting that show. You know, it's a big damn deal. Um, they don't just let anybody host a show. Um you got to know your politics. You got to know people. You got to be able to have good interview skills. And you got to know city council. And so, you know, a lot of people forget that I was a city council communications fellow 10 years ago, actually. Um, in the fall of 2013, I was a city council um, communications fellow. And I worked with all 17 members of city elected officials of city council um, on communications. And, you know, I got to connect with them. I mean, yeah, it was that was, wow, 10 years ago. I was a... Well, right, I would have been a junior at this time, and I remember my internship. Ooh, child. What was that internship? Was it was it Philly Mag? I think it was Philly Mag. Maybe not. It was probably somewhere else, because that, that was spring 2013. I think I did. Oh, I did Philly Mag spring of 2012. Yeah, probably 2012 spring. Yeah, I was a, I was an editorial um, intern at Philly Mag. There was a, a, a magazine cover... That I think I, well, that cover, you already, some of y'all probably know what I'm talking about, that cover. I think I was editorial intern when that cover came out in the spring 
of 2022. I think I was 2012. I mean, I think I was an editorial intern then and I left actually. So, but that's another story for another day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, you know, city council was a place that I know quite well, um, for various reasons and, and more so. So last week, as you all know, I had launched a letter on behalf of the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists, our board. It was a great group. Um, and many members signed on to that petition. Um, we got over 50 signatures from elected officials, nonprofit leaders, media, um, you know, members of our organization, leadership from across various groups, um, the free press, the Philadelphia Community Access Media, of course, the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists, the National Hispanic Journalists of uh, the National Hispanic Journalists Association, the Asian American Journalists Association, all of these different groups um, that were connected to those Philadelphia local chapters, all signed on to this letter demanding the Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer better. I, I think one thing that really just was telling but also devastating was the fact that last week, marked the two-year anniversary of a deal that we made, the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists, with the Philadelphia Inquirer. There was a DEI like agreement that was made. Um, and it, it's on the website. You can go check out our website, thepbj.org. But there was an agreement that was made that really was based on a situation that took place in 2020 during a racial uprisings. I don't know if many of you all remember, but the Inquirer had ran a headline called Buildings Matter 2. It was the most tone-deaf thing I had heard in years and basically was centered around the damage of property and how, you know, buildings matter too. Like, like in the sense of like, oh, you know, like trying to conflate Black Lives Matter, but into buildings, a conversation about buildings. Like, yeah, Black Lives Matter, but buildings matter too. Like, are you fucking serious? Like, you're creating, you're you're comparing an animal object to lives, black lives. It was tone deaf. It was horrible. And the executive editor at the time, um, Stan uh, Wachowski, he left. He he resigned. Um, and then they had a, they since have had a new editor, a vice president of news who's been in the position who, you know, received the PABJ Thumbs Down Award in our gala last year. Um, but we came together at that time, um, that editor, the publisher of the Philadelphia Inquirer, and then the VP of DEI, who was their first, like, VP of DEI, who was a nice black man who was in this position at the time, carved out an idea, said, okay, here's some things we can find common ground on. So some of those things that we found common ground on, this was on March 15th, 2021, <laughs> two years ago, um, we agreed on a, having a community advisory council that was not of Inquirer employees. It was meant to be a group of, um, you know, people from the community, from different aspects of the community, a couple of people from community, you know, local media, um, public education and schools and different community groups and, and leadership that you know, are impacted by the type of problems 
that are at the Inquirer through coverage and representation, hiring practices, all of these different things. But this is would be groups of you that were not employees, because oftentimes when you put employees in these roles, you know, their their priority is being a spokesperson for the company, not actually being an individual that can share, you know, real candid, um, vulnerable information. So there's a, there's a, there's a major difference there. So that was one thing we proposed. The second thing we proposed um, was to create, uh, which we agreed on, these are things we had agreed on, was an apprenticeship program for a journalist, a black journalist, one black journalist that would basically train them and in, in, in the, basically um, acclimate them within the Philadelphia Inquirer company structure. So that could have been someone who wanted to be an editorial or wanted to go the, the, the advertising marketing route, but just somewhere through the industry, through the Inquirer, they would build these skills and this networking connections to get the training and real experience. And potentially, you know, once they finished that one year um, program, but that would have had supported funding, um, they would then could potentially get offered a, a full time position and job at the Inquirer. Um, so there was that um, on the table as well. And then lastly, the other plan was that there would be very um, consistent, persistent, um, scheduled check-ins and meetings between the PABG executive board and the inquirer um, consistently to address any DEI efforts and things they were doing. So if they were doing projects in advance, you know, we, we wouldn't dictate everything, how it will play out, but we would take the time to, you know, just kind of, you know, listen and, you know, give a little bit of feedback and just, you know, get a heads up because a lot of times it, the inquirer would just take on these big initiatives or make these big declarations and it just was clear that they wasn't talking to black people about it or, or at least black people that were d- directly connected to it. So these were the things that we thought was necessary for PABJ and the Philadelphia Inquirer to have as a group. Um, none of those things happened. Um, none of those proposals, none of those things we agreed on actually took place. They they basically broke their promise. Um, we looked at this as a, a, a memorandum of understanding. You know, there was after several conversations throughout that summer of 2020, after several meetings, you know, that that led up to 2021. It, it was just you would think that folks would have gotten it. But what happened to PABJ, what happened to us in that situation showed us how many people exploited the relationships between black organizations during the, the Black Lives Matter um, uprising, right? That there were so many people who made these pledges and promises that got headlines and press releases and looked good. Then all of a sudden, you know, once the protests, you know, died down and the enthusiasm, the day-to-day coverage started to, to scale back, then so did a lot of those promises and those those deals that were made. So, you know, it's it's been interesting to be... Um, seeing it, you know, I see it even with this, this with Black History Month. I felt like Black History Month this year just did not have the same oomph and flavor um, that we had seen previous in previous years. I feel like a lot of that is now being shifted into Juneteenth because Juneteenth is like a one day holiday. And so now they done went from trying to force a month of Black History Month pandering to now fixated on Juneteenth as like that. We'll give the Blacks a weekend and then we'll keep it moving. I just feel like that's the shift. Maybe, listen, that's my observation. That's how I feel as a black person. I am recognizing that trend from companies in major places. Um, not speaking specifically about the Philadelphia Inquirer, but just culturally. And a lot of that behavior is because what all of those things that were said during the racial uprisings, 
there has now been a new excuse to once again come back on DI talking about funding. And so the, the first thing that often go is DI programs and things about cultural competence, even though those to, to, and those type of ideals, in my opinion, just seem to be more about, you know, this is this is this is essential to a business. You, you cannot tell me that you can successfully push a business not considering diversity, equity, inclusion without being racist. There just is no way you can do both. You, you go that route where you're saying, you know what, I don't care about inclusion, diversity, and equity. I just want to run a successful company. And you believe that to achieve that success will mean not having women or black and brown people and other groups, right? If you believe that, then you're a bigot. You're, you're, you're somebody who does not... You're you're putting profit over people in principle, and so therefore I can't respect that. And there seems to be people out here who are like all about the money and don't care about any of those other things. Well, listen, unless you're just some hustle hustle machine and a people industry where you have to interact with communities on a regular basis, I don't I don't know how else you can savage your reputation and think that's okay. So it's been interesting just seeing some of the shifts that has happened in the past two years since the racial uprisings, how many people have fallen back on some of the things they've promised. And don't think for five seconds black people don't see it. We see it. So what I will say is I can't say too, too much because there is still negotiations, but they did receive the letter. They did see who signed it. There has been some real conversations happening to set up what needs to happen. I am about 75% confident that a meeting will happen very soon. Um, I'm going to say 75%. Um, but the work has been happening. And you all who have read it, who have shared that um, letter, um, who have, have definitely you know, got behind it, um, thank you so much because it has been two years of trying to do this alone and breaking our silence um, to talk about this even further and, and in a way that brought community in for you all to show up and show out in the way that you did to get the signatures um, for the for the major elected officials who stuck their neck out, Donna Bullock, Morgan Cephas, Catherine Gilman Richardson, Isaiah Thomas, and, and so many other leaders who signed on and put their name behind it. Thank you. Because there is strength in numbers and also strength in visibility just so people can see the fact that this support um, behind this work isn't just from um, Philadelphia Inquirer, but there was also leadership from Philly Mag that signed the letter. And that's outside of myself. But it, it felt good to see people join in and be a part of that experience and to let them see that our support is broad. We have leaders from the Black press sign on to that letter. It meant something that we all collectively did that publicly. And you know, Type Smith and, and, and Michael O'Brien, so many great people signed that letter. And, um, you know, that's what it's about because, you know, we as folks in this community that complain about what we're seeing in the press, when the time comes to speak up and speak out, are you on the side of silence? Or are you on the side of confronting the violence? You have to ask yourself that question every day. What side are you on in the situation? Are you on the side of silence or are you on the side of confronting the violence? And so when I make decisions about who I vote for or what stance I take, I'm looking at that. Those are the two questions that come in my head in each of those situations. What side am I on? 
what 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 is this side of peers? How are this? How am I on this front? Um, and people can disagree about what is that evil, what is that violence, but you know, I think we should all be more conscious um, and and thoughtful about what that looks like because. There's so many people who just consistently throw up money. And I think as the older I get, the more I start to pick up on bad habits from people, like the way they describe and discuss their work. I mean, by all means, getting paid is important. And, and the conversation will vary depending on age level and, and, and I think identity. Um, but I also think, though, is that I am I, I I think when people are younger and I will say I define young as people under 35 or under 37 there's a way that I've noticed like do I as I navigate relationships and professional relationships people that are like under 35 or 40 I think 40 may be a little too older I'm going to say like 37 I think 35 okay anybody under 37 when I hear most of them talk about work or jobs a lot of them have they oftentimes talk about work in terms of money. It's either a conversation about money um, for for raises and, and lack of pay, or uh, you know having to pay off let let loans and debt. Like it's always centered around that, which I get right. But when I have conversations with older people, I want to say people past forty about money. If I hear them talking about it in the same way that I hear people that are younger or around my age talking about it, I'm kind of like, mm. like what I mean by this is that if everyone is talking about work, those people who are educated, because there is a difference. I think there has always been this classes notion of telling working class people, specifically working class people, oh, Quit your job and, and do what you want to do. And people who who say that don't often consider that survival when you're in that 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 rank and file in society where you're trying to make ends meet. That survival drives why people work the jobs they work, like direct survival. Um, like if I don't take this job, I don't know if I can get another job, right? Immediately. And so there's a different way that you can, you know. I won't say force or it's a different way that you can talk to certain people when it comes to that kind of work. So there's an exception there. But what I will say, though, is that for people who are much educated are given certain connections and, 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 and systems. I think once you get to a certain age where you are privileged with degrees like, you know, multiple degrees and you have all these things. Having the conversation solely about money alone is just to me boring. Um, and I say that to say that I hear I've been going to some networking events, a couple, not too many. And I'm seeing like these men who are like in their mid 40s and they're not married. They don't have any kids. They oftentimes just consistently talk about how they make money and, you know, that's just it. Like, it's, do you like what you do? Do you feel good? Oh, it's a circular conversation. I make a lot of money doing this job. I like this job because I make a lot of money doing it. I make a lot of money doing the job because I like the job. And so it's always centered around the money conversation. It's like, well, when you're in your 40s, it's like you got to find some value 
And it doesn't seem like a lot of people are having that conversation about value um, at that level. Um, And it's kind of sad because even in journalism, there's people who, you know, I went to an event recently and, and it was conversation about journalism and careers. And there's people that oftentimes are trying to flex the journalism conversation like it's money. I'm sorry, but unless you are entrepreneurial journalists, and I mean like a journalist who have multiple jobs, um, have multiple projects and trying to, you know, then it's the conversation, unless you're like some major broadcast TV show anchor person, the, it's, it's you, if you're trying to get in journalism to make money, like hustle, off the bat, you're in the wrong industry. I'm just keeping it 100. Like, I've come into money recently, right, because of my book, because of certain you know, contracts I've gotten. But that has been like in the most recent years. When I first started off in my journalism career, it was humble beginnings, okay? 450 in my studio apartment. But I lived in Philly, so a 450 in Philly is not the same. Well, you can't even get a 450 in New York. What you live in under what? I don't even know where you live in. I don't even think it's impossible. But in Philadelphia, uh nine years ago, it was possible to find a decent studio apartment for 450 a month in West Philadelphia. And that's what I did. Um, you know, for me, what you know, what people have to recognize for me was that I never, I never came for money. But it wasn't necessarily a necessary situation where I was like, oh my goodness, I, I couldn't, I couldn't survive without anything. It was just the reality of if I wanted to do the things that I particularly wanted to do, I had to get realistic about what that looked like. So I chose to be a journalist. And understood starting off in print journalism that it wasn't that much money um, off the jump. But this was that was something I was passionate about doing. I had plans to to build upon it. But my whole aspiration of doing journalism was never to be rich. It was to to do the storytelling, and it was what I was passionate about. And the things that I lacked at those times were were I never thought about them as much because I was so in love with what I was doing. But that's being driven by passion now to be clear definitely did that only for about two years it was time to pick it up a little bit move up a little bit but also was fortunate to have um a a loving and supporting boyfriend who worked and helped support my dreams and then now i'm in a position where i i we can support each other's dreams together and you know my friends as well so it's it's different but I, i say this to say that i hear so many conversations where people are are talking about money, and I get it. But if we're not talking about what drives you to do it, why you're passionate about doing it, and this is supposed to be your career, it's like, what are we, what are we doing? You know, what's the point of studying and busting your ass and taking all these classes or doing these certificate programs and trainings and things? Like we gotta get to a point as a collective to figure out like what are the things driving our interest. And you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because to me, it's not even a conversation about those with degrees or not. But I just find that the most lackluster conversations about success is being held by folks that are much older and have way more degrees. And it's like, did you give up on life? You know, who shot you? You know, but it was just some interesting conversations I've been hearing lately at some events. And I'm just like, so that's what it is. You just, you know. Mm. Journalism is a very elitist, sometimes can be a very elitist industry by default. Like, I'm going to a whole nother thing, but I'm feeling some thoughts and I, I just want to just drop them on this podcast. But it, it feels, it can be, 
a very elitist institution in the sense of like when you talk about mainstream media, how people get jobs and internships, a lot of times it's people that know people that know people that do all those connections. But then it's also people who, you know, can't afford to do an unpaid internship. A lot of these internships are unpaid, which is unethical in my opinion. Um, so if you don't, if you can't afford or parents can't pay your way through stuff, it's 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 a lot. Like I had to connect my work study with internship opportunities so that I could get money through my work study to be able to do that, do those types of internships that was unpaid. Like I had to find ways in the system to like figure it out and figure out how to connect the dots and and, and be able to take care of myself because I didn't want to miss out on the opportunities, but I also did not want to lean on to my parents to like do that. So it's a lot of decision making. It has to happen up front. And, you know, listen, some people can who can have parents that can pay their way and do that. But, you know, the the, the Ernest Owens of the world and, and the Mr. Johnson's of the world, that wasn't our reality. Um, so I, I think as I've gotten older, I've began to just consistently remind myself that no matter where I'm at, like I'm in definitely a definitely a better, great, phenomenal place now, clearly. But back then, I know I think. How I get excited and what I love about journalism, the, the magic didn't change here from there. The excitement and enthusiasm to pursue this is has been consistent. And so I say all that to say that if you're not finding the joy and the purpose in doing what you're doing and you're thinking that getting more money is going to you know, build that confidence. I mean, it it is a great feeling. I will say that when you can get in a place where you know, you paying the rent four months ahead. <laughs> like, it's great to be in a position where you're doing certain things and you're in a, in a space like that. But regardless of that feeling, how I feel about the work, that that's just, you know, that's the difference here. There was something that was said at an event I was at in New York. I was in New York City for a, a small um media conference of sorts, a little journalism convention, not convention, conference, like a summit. And I went and there was a good thing. One of my friends had said on a panel, um, just talking about um, why are a lot of um, journalists not necessarily, you know, sharing their own work and talking about self-promotion. And, you know, I'm, I mean, I guess people say I'm the king of self-promotion, but listen, as a black gay man, as young, okay. Who gonna support my work and, and, and represent my work better than me? Unless there's somebody that's working for me and working with me. Who who's gonna do it? Who's gonna actually go out and promote this work and, and tell people how good the shit is? It, it doesn't happen like that for black journalists in the business. It's very seldom. I mean, I'm one of the few at my level in my particular space that's not a TV girl, let me be very clear, that can get different people from across the country to share my articles naturally and support. But it is not a common thing. And anyone who's in a digital space know articles are determined by traffic, right? Your success and able to publish for certain publications and get public, it's a numbers game. So, like, you know, the reason why I've been able to be booked and busy and bothered is because essentially it's a numbers game. People showing up, being like, look, I'm going to support this. I'm going to support that. You know, um, I saw the show. Your, your article is the most read on this site. That's how it works. Like, people really 
pour into you and pour into what you do based on traffic. And that's for a lot of different things. But so, so when people talk about this self-promotion thing, I'm like, child, it ain't for my ego. It's for my, <laughs> it's for my, you know, for me to thrive. It's, it's really, it's really that simple for me. I think people get, I don't know. I don't know. People are just so fucking like overanalyze shit nowadays. I just feel like sometimes it just makes one thing. They say, oh, so, you know, I know you should promote your stuff a lot. Yeah. Cause one is good shit. And two, that's how I get paid. Like that's how I continue to do what I do. It's it's really that simple. It's it's not like a oh you know I I thought of this mechanism. No, I I support and promote the work that I do to be able to one. I, I'm proud of the work that I do, and I think it is important for people to consume it. But also that consumption is also part of like my livelihood. So when I hear journalists say, I'm like, do you? They say, you know, they they question whether they should promote their stuff. I'm like, do you want to eat? <laughs> like. Do you actually want to eat? Because if you just got a bunch of food, you must be privileged somewhere. Um, my friend Travell, they said in the, on the panel, they said that, uh, I think they said, quote, like, if you don't, because you, you, a lot of y'all got shit y'all not proud of or, or something along the lines of that. And I was like, yeah, some people don't feel like sharing their work because a lot of times they're not proud of the work. They're they're ashamed of it. Um, in journalism, like, if you, you know. There's people on Twitter that got big person ads on Twitter, but if you read some of the stuff they actually write, you're like, what? What is this? <laughs> it's, it's not really good content sometimes. And so their personalities are oftentimes outshining their work. Over here where I'm at, um, the work is the, you know, the work is the, is the, is the product. I don't know. If y'all coming over here to see body and, and, you know, all that. This is not that page. Um, this is not that place. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's not what I'm selling over here. Um, and there's no shame to people that do. That's their prerogative. But over here, if I'm saying award-winning journalist, you're going to see journalism. Like, if you're not seeing journalism, what we doing? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you know, I'm throwing, am I throwing shots right now? I don't think I, I mean, listen, all I'm saying is what you say that you're doing and what people should be seeing should kind of align. Yes, there's other things I'm giving, I'm serving over here. Author, so you know you're going to see some stuff about the book. But, like, th- this is what I'm doing right now. If, you, if you're not seeing that on my timeline, it, 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 I don't know what to say. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think this is really about that, that striking the balance and, and figuring it out and, and, and doing that. That's just, that's just where I'm at with it. But, mm. um, <laughs> so... St. Patrick's Day came and went, thank God. But I just want to say this, y'all. After this year, white people, black, whatever, but specifically white people, because this is the experience I had recently. I was at an Acme going grocery shopping, a little quick little grocery shopping. Um, I was just picking up a couple of things. Actually, it was more so for Mr. Johnson because he has this rigid list of frozen fruit. He's into making smoothies, y'all. And he's got a particular, he got a particular type of brand of frozen fruit and the size and the ounces and what's on sale. It's a thing, but like we're, you know, we love that we love a good sale. So that was like a particular amount in the bag. I think 12 ounce bags were like half off or buy one, get one free. But he had like a particular list of fruit that he wanted to get. So I was, I made the runs because the doll works for herself. So she could just pop up whenever she wants and, you know, do what she want to do. Like I got my hair cut. Um, first decision. I got these nails done. These are not the nails going on tour. Um, these are the nails that are um, just, you know, kind of like my little 
you know, rocking these to the end of the month. But these are cute. They're nice, cute silver. They got like a, a really, really nice shimmery pop. Um, but anywho, um, went to this, this store, was gross shopping. White man comes from behind me, y'all. Pinches me, like in a way that had me go, what the fuck? Like I was like confused. I was so shook, y'all. I, I just, I was like, what? The, I was scared. I was fucking like, it was, it was, it was weird. And he's like, where's your green, man? When I tell you, it was a lot of emotions. I'm just going to leave it like that in my head. And he kind of just walked. And I'm just like, if I, now if I go off and I get yelled, yell, get loud, I yell, a uh, holler or, or is something physical. And there's a police officer right over there. I don't know if he has a gun, security guy. Anything could pop off in my entire, you know, so I'm just in my head like, what the fuck? I just think I said something like, what the fuck? And I just kept going with my basket. I couldn't even, you know what I'm saying? But it's just like that type of shit. You know, those are the things. Those are the things. Keep your hands to your fucking self. I think the last time I ever got pinched what was when I was in high school, maybe, but we were, you know, black and we just, and it was girls. It was just a different energy. All right. I don't, I just don't even remember. Like, I was like, what the fuck? But I remember that whole culture of like St. Patrick's Day, pitching people in a wear green. But it's like, we're grown. We're grown. We're, we're not doing it to be, we don't know. It's just everything about it was just, was just, just a lot. Um, and so, you know, I saw people on social media saying, oh, you should have da 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's easy to say that until you have to sell a book on cancel culture and you're trying to make sure you don't get canceled in the process of you selling a book about cancel culture. Even though technically probably y'all would have thought that person got canceled. I don't know. But however it is, it just would have read well, right? Because violence is not the answer. <sighs> Keep your hands to yourself, people. Just stop touching people. Like, respect people. Like, if you don't know somebody, don't touch somebody you don't know. Like, what is wrong with y'all? Where where are y'all manners? You know, I just, ugh. Oh, goodness. Just keep your hands to yourself, people. Just keep your hands to yourself. So, that's happening. Um, before I get into these restaurants, because there was some, some good restaurants and, and whatnot. I don't want to leave anything out. What I will say is that um, keep your hands to yourself. That's that's epic. Um, there is a big announcement that is coming on later, well, on Monday, um, March 20th. Now, this is going to be announced at 11 a.m. on March 20th. So if you are hearing this before 11 a.m., Please note that you are to be quiet about it um, until 11 a.m. is over, until it passes. But um, I am going to be hosting a televised mayoral candidate forum. Uh, I'm super excited to announce it now. It's official. So the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists is hosting their mayoral candidate forum on Thursday, April 20th. Um, doors open at 530 and the taping in a events will begin around six, but this will be a mayoral candidates form that will be live. And you, if you're in Philadelphia or you're in the area, can attend this historic event at the Museum of the American Revolution 
And RSVP is available at thepabj.org. You can go on the website um, and you'll see the, the big banner that's going to say click to RSVP. RSVP, um, it's free admission. There'll be free refreshments, um, really great snacks and drinks and things. It's going to be fabulous. And there will also be, um, you can see the Black Founders Forum, uh, Black uh, Founders, I think it's the Fortum um, Family um, exhibition, which is will be free for guests. So if you come at 530 on the dot, you will have access to that museum exhibition where you can take a little walk and mini tour before seating for the forum starts at six o'clock. So this is going to be a great event. Um, eight mayoral candidates um, were selected and accepted the invitation to attend. The eight viable candidates that were invited that will be attending this event is going to be Amon Brown, State Rep Amon Brown, businessman Jeff Brown, Alan Dom, um, city, former city council member Alan Dom, former city council person um, Derek Green, former city council person Helen Gim, former city council person Sherelle Parker, former city controller Rebecca Reinhardt, and former city council member Maria Keon Sanchez. So I did it in alphabetical order. Um, so Amon Brown goes first by default, and then Jeff Brown's after him. Um, because people start being like, well, what's the ranking order? Is it based on who's a celebrity, who's famous? No, we did it by alphabetical um, last names. Um, and that was how we determined the order uh, based on how things are being announced. Um, so it's not that Maria Keanu Sanchez is the lowest person. It's just that we based it, ba- we based the names based on alphabetical order spelling. But those are the eight that we consider viable. And viable, again, means, you know, have you raised money during your campaign? How long have you ran? You know, if, did you just come in at the last minute? You know, these are all very important factors. Um, the steam panelists that will be um, asking these candidates the important questions will be CBS3 uh, news anchor Yuki Washington, um, WWDBAM host Archbishop Mary Floyd Palmer, which is the Bishop Mary. She hosts the Bishop Mary show. Um, WRD program and news director Jamara Perry, who's also a VP of print for PABJ. And last but not least, Philadelphia citizen columnist Jamil Q. Duncan, who is an up-and-coming rising star in um, local political you know, commentary and media. Um, he is 19 years old. He currently attends, he currently attends Swarthmore, and he's you know working um, in politics part-time while being a student. It's it's incredible. So he's doing some really great things as well. Um, so this came from a grant we received from the Linfest Institute's Every Voice, Every Vote grant that helped support this. Um, shouts to the you know, Museum of American Revolution for the Museum of the American Revolution, which is an old city um, that really provided us the ballroom and the accommodations to make this experience great. And CBS3 um, will be, of course, the media partner that will be um, airing this live. So if you... Uh, we'll love to attend the event. Go to the link in the bio of my Twitter or my Instagram, or just simply go to thepabj.org. Click that link, RSCP through that Eventbrite. Spread the word, invite other friends, but y'all need to make sure you RSCP. No one's getting in without a photo ID and without confirming their name on the list. So this is a very big deal. Um, this form is epic, and we highly encourage people to come. 
We only have a certain number of seats. I think we have roughly like 100 or something seats that will be eligible for people to RSVP. So if you are able to come, please RSVP and confirm. And if you decide to drop out, please drop out because some people, you know, we don't know how fast this will fill up. We imagine that it's probably going to fill up fast because it is free and, you know, people want to see a live, you know, forum, a live candidates debate. But it's going down. I'm hosting it. And, and this is. You know, this experience for me is just truly humbling because some of y'all may notice, some of y'all don't remember this, but four years ago, I was in an audience watching a live mural uh, forum on television. Um, and, you know, I was watching while I was televised. It was at NBC 10. Um, I made facial expressions that were reactions um, and I didn't know they were caught on camera. Um, you know, they were turned into viral gifts that took storm on social media. Um, so this is at NBC 10. NBC 10 had hosted the only televised mayoral candidates forum. And this was when it was Alan Buckovitz, um, Mayor Jim Kenney, and State Senator Anthony Hardy Williams. So this was the, that debate, and I was in the background, and you know I was you know reacting to some of the things I was saying, and it was taken off on social media. Um, what I found out later, which I didn't know at the time, was that one of those cameras were not um, you know managed properly, where the camera should have moved, and I guess it was stuck in one place or something like that. But the, whoever was a producer couldn't move the camera. If they would have moved that camera just slightly, then I wouldn't. Then, first of all, my face would have been seen, which was ideal, but I would have been fine. But because there was a technical difficulty on their spot, my face was happening and my phone was cut off because I couldn't look at my phone and read the messages because my phone was off. So it was just a lot going on. But it went viral. There was a GIF. And I was slated to go on NBC 10 with Conrad Benner, um, fun fact. And we were supposed to do elections recap that weekend. Um, NBC 10 was pissed off. They took me off the air. Um, some people had claimed I was banned from the Comcast Technology Center, which is the Comcast Technology Center was where they hosted it because NBC 10 is in those headquarters buildings and Comcast is there and everything else, everyone else is there. But at the time, there was this narrative that I was banned from there. Um, so your girl was canceled. Um, <laughs> and you know, it was some interesting people that was a part of that. And let me just say that a lot of the people that was a part of me at that time being banned from, um, the Comcast and Center, allegedly, allegedly, because I never got a formal letter, but that was the narrative that was said because I wasn't allowed to also come. And then they wanted me to apologize. Um, and it was some people who, who was really, just the way they handled the situation. And I was like, what, what am I apologizing for? For being, you know, for, 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 for being a human, for having natural facial reactions, for, you know, for my black facial. Like, what am I apologizing for? I never understood it. And I, and I was like, I wasn't going to apologize. Um, because I just was trying to figure out what was I apologizing for? Um, I didn't, I didn't think the situation was that much of a blunder. If anything, it made the debate more interesting. It was a boring, dry ass debate. I never forget. I was in the live audience and it was, I mean, there were moments, but it was like, I mean, structure wise, the people that were asking the questions, they were just kind of flat because they always, they always have the same people moderate. And so when I produced 
this uh, Meryl Candice form, I was very big on making sure that everyone who's on this panel hadn't done a bunch of other Candice forms. Like this is their first Candice form they're participating in this election cycle. And that was very important to me because a lot of times there are like the same people doing these forums. And you can like, and some of these people are okay with being just like mediocre. Not naming names, not, 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 not doing that. I'm just, you know, the mediocrity in the industry, y'all. I'm, I'm just, mm. um, but, but, you know, that being said, it was, it was a great experience, um, uh, to be able to put this together. It, you know, I'm super excited. I'm, I'm like in my head, like, what am I going to wear? Cause I'm definitely going to wear a tie. See, I wear a tie when I want to. I don't like wearing a tie all the time, but there are times where I'm like, yeah, I want to wear a tie. Look at me feeling like a, a suited up top. No, I'm just saying, I just, I, I don't know. I just, I, I cannot wait to wear a tie uh, for this event. But I have a couple of ties I keep up, a little stylish. So I'm definitely going to, you know, look like a bag of money. Um, but I'm excited. I'm super excited. I can't wait for y'all to come. If you, if you can attend the event, take advantage, please do. Um, but also we're going to encourage people, don't be making noises. This is taped live. So, you know, um, yeah, we'll say that much. Um, but I'm excited. I'm, 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 I'm hype about it. CBS3 is a dope TV station um, locally. Um, so it'd be fun to be on there and show up and show out. So I want to talk about this this quickly. Um, the weirdest thing happened um, last week. And I haven't, I've seen this. There is this thing called Thinify. Um, I guess it's like an an app or or something, but how I found out about this, and I, I don't use it myself, but I, I want people to know like what I'm talking about because I don't want to sound like I'm not making any sense. So I there was somebody I knew had a photo gallery. Um they're not someone I'm like close to, so it's not like I'm talking about a friend here. Um but I saw a photo gallery and when I was looking it looked like one of the images was a screenshot. Oh, it's called Intelli Beauty. So it's in, it's called Intelli. I-N-T-E-L-L-I Beauty. And so Intelli Beauty, that's what it's like. That's what it's called. So when I looked through the photo gallery, there was one image that looked like a screenshot, a screen grab. And it was an image of the person with another person. But it, it said that it was labeled Intelli Beauty like it was on an app. And there was this these options to do certain things to the photo. Like you can thinify it. So it was super thin. Um, it, it was called thinify was what it was called. And then it was called enlarge eye. So you can do something to enlarge the eyes, but like there's things you could do in the photo to like, give it almost like a, you a cosmetic surgery. Like you can, and I know that for some people hearing me talk about this, they're like, duh, Ernest, you never heard of this. Listen, listen, first of all, the fact that they showed it, the person had, um, basically made their their themselves thinner in the photo and then they didn't do anything with their eyes they left their eyes alone but that was like giving themselves like a little slight tan and everything and i'm just sitting there looking like is it that bad out here y'all are we at the point now where people are literally going i mean i know filters i know this but like it was just weird to see it and then now i see certain people's pictures online and i'm like this doesn't even look healthy like you look like you've done some real over-the-top 
editing. And I don't know why people do too much editing. Because you can tell nowadays these photos, like, this looks so unhealthy and unrealistic. Your your body doesn't make sense. Your, your leg looks chopped. The edits are really weird. It's like people are painting backgrounds of thin things. I'm just like, this shit is just wild. It's wild. It's wild and and it's concerning and 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 it's and it's even worse because a lot of people that's doing this. Let me be very clear: are very grown, grown people. Like there's grown, but it's like grown, grown. I'm talking folks that are in their like early forties. Like you are too damn grown to be playing with filters like that on yourself, like that. You know, distorting. Like what? What? Like I just hate these types of things. I hate these types of apps. I didn't even know that it was that deep. But when I saw someone's own screen grab they didn't even realize in their gallery that they had did not i guess swap out the photo or something but i'm just like damn like we have to cut this out and these pictures are looking like and you're starting to get to i mean you can see some of them this is like too much filter too much whatever i just i don't encourage it i just want people to just be happy with themselves and be safe so that's what i'll say on that so this week in restaurants, you know, I went to Square 1682, which is located, it's connected to the Kempton Hotel, Hotel Palmar, which is right across from uh, Sofitel Hotel. So that is, a yes, that is the place where I went to Sazerac, Suits and Sazerac, or Sazeracs and Suits, this event that supported an organization called Wardrobe. I went to that event last week, um, I believe the week before last week, actually. Um, and that was a fun event. But I went to dinner connected. They have a black executive chef, a black restaurant manager, um, lots of diversity across the restaurant. And this they have a new black executive chef who's created some incredible recipes. Some of y'all saw the photos on my Instagram. The food is was incredible. And they have a lot, they are launching a brand new menu that kicks off this week. So some of the photos of the food you saw, I tasted the new menu before it came out. So I highly recommend. I'm just putting out that I highly recommend um, for starters. Um, went to White Dog Cafe for brunch. Of course, I had the pork Benedict, the pork belly Benedict, which is like a staple on that menu. It is definitely one of the by far best brunch menu items at White Dog. And also... One of my top 10 favorite brunch entrees because it just hits the spot. I do get the egg scramble rather than runny, but they're just so, you know, it's so funny because I always think I'm going to finish it in a, in a, in a, in a heavy fashion or the, if the portion size is enough, it's always enough. It's so rich. It's so savory. It just hits all the notes for me and I'm always full. Like I, I can never be unfull with the food. I don't know what it is. And this time I didn't even do an appetizer. I just simply went for the main dish and, and it was just fabulous. So I was there with of course Mr. Johnson and Joe and Amanda and Rowana, her her best friend, and it's these two twins who were so cute, um, that were Rowana's friends. And it was like a seven seven of us and we just had brunch and we were talking about life and catching up on some things and talking about what to do with useless friends. I mean, that's always a topic. What to do with useless friends is always a topic I love to talk about at brunch. Um, joking, but no, it was just, it was good conversation, and I and I think you know I was it was more so my perspective. I'm not an op. I'm not going out, folks, and and, and what going on in a relationship. They first, but like I'm speaking about my relationships. Like when I think about what to do with useless friends, I had a, I had a useless friend. Well, we're no longer friends. Who had a birthday situation this past week? 
Um, and it turned their birthday into a week, which was like a yikes. But you know, everybody's different. Everybody's doing their own thing. I, I, I mean, I, I hope they're living a more honest life and being well and being best. Okay. Um, <laughs> just saying. Um, but you know, yeah. Um, useless friends are a thing. Um, other restaurant I went to, speaking with useful friends. Um, Lip Brothers, we got together this month for our monthly happy hour gathering, but we did a special event. Um, Restaurant Alexander, which I've been bragging about since the beginning of time. Well, they had a new program called, the, they're doing a Sunday Supper Club. It is a Sunday every month. I, I don't know which, which Sunday of the month they're doing it, but they're always doing it one, one Sunday in a month. And they just hit the first event um, this past Sunday. So we had dinner there. The theme was like R and beats, like rhythm and beats, like beats as in beats and beats as in beats, get it rhythm and blues. So there was a, it was a beat themed menu. Um, the main course was duck, which was incredible, but there was like a duck, there was like a beet salad, this beet pasta dish, then this really good dessert that had a beet type of, um, you know, vibe and parade. It was a very great themed event. They had a beat themed cocktails, but I thought like, okay, you know, when you have beats, I'm just going to be a little vulgar for five seconds. Your urine turns can turn reddish. And I had a traumatic experience where I had a bunch of beats. I had to drink a lot of beat cocktails and I was playing around with too many beats and my urine turned really red and pinkish. And I thought it was blood or something. I was getting a little scared. Um, but it was just beats. And I read it up online. And it was like, oh, if it's that color, it's it's because of beats. If you had a lot of beats or something, kind of like asparagus when you're. I hate that. That's why I'm so scared to eat asparagus. You know, people are like, oh, I don't eat onions because onions make my breath stink. Blah 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 blah. Listen, it don't be the onions for me, y'all. It be it it it, it, it is the the asparagus because I hate how it smells, but it tastes so damn good with a steak. And I'm, I've been trying to find alternatives that's going to give me that feeling that asparagus does with steak, but none can compare, y'all. I'm sorry. Like, I was like, oh, maybe broccoli um, rabbi or something. Like broccolini. Child, broccolini with steak does not hit the same. Broccolini is good with, like, you know, a good, you know, half chicken dish. But it's not good with steak, uh, in my opinion. Um, then I tried to do Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts are okay. They're all but you know, you know, some people just don't know how to make them good enough. In my opinion, like sometimes I feel like it can be a little bit too crispy, and I'm like missing the the layered moistness. But you know, Brussels sprouts can it can be okay substitute. String beans, eh? It's almost like a boring variation. I feel like string beans is really good with salmon. Like it's a really good dish with salmon, and I think. Brussels sprouts is oftentimes good with like a roast beef type of deal. So that's why I can tolerate it with steak, but not necessarily. It's like, to me, it's good with short rib. Like, you know, um, carrots, get out of here with that. Um, I, I don't know what else will taste good with it as a green. I think the only green I can think of outside of asparagus, because asparagus just hits differently. Mushrooms, of course, but like a green veggie is simply a salad, maybe a sauteed kale or just a really good crisp salad that complements it. But honestly, I try to avoid asparagus because of what it does. You know, that smell it has after you, you know, but I just love it. I just love it with steak. I just feel like it's the perfect type of root vegetable that complements the strength and it, it endures because it's like a very, it's a vegetable that can endure a lot. And when it's really nice and sauteed well, and it's got that nice crisp thickness, oh, so good. So good. My two friends um went out to Steak 48 
um, for dinner over the past weekend. And I was just like, damn, that's nice. I'm, I mean, I've been staking it out a little bit at other places, as you all know. So I'm kind of like, uh, do I really want the steak or just because I think it's great? And I'll tell you where I went, actually. I was at Capitol Grill. It was not my choice, but it was good. Um, I had dinner with the Lieutenant Governor Austin Davis with members of the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists Board. And we were just checking in to talk to um, the Lieutenant Governor about what, what they're working on. Just a communication, like a meet the press type of dinner. And it was very informative and very enlightening. And so it was it was, it was was great. But we, we were at Capitol Grill. And, you know, listen, Capitol Grill got a nice little cocktail they called the Stoey. I don't go there a lot, so some of y'all could be like... Yes, Ernest, that Stoli drink's been there. But let me tell you about that Stoli drink. It's like a pie, it's a pineapple-based cocktail. It's giving the VIP like a bad, but I like the VIP better. But it's giving VIP cocktail. Like that VIP cocktail that's at Del Frisco's got, got the pineapple vodka vibe. They have something similar. I feel like the drinks, you definitely, I feel like they both taste the same slightly, but I do feel like the VIP at Del Frisco's tastes differently, but they call this drink like the Stoey or something like that. And it's like a premier premium cocktail on their menu. Um, but I had a couple of those and I wasn't complaining though. They were, they were, they did what they need to do that night, but I definitely feel like the VIP at Del Frisco's and Del Frisco's grill. Um, cause they sell it too. Though that is the ideal drink. Just my opinion, but restaurant Alexander for dinner, the theme was great. Um, Met with, of course, the great chefs, Montana Houston, who is the executive chef. And then, of course, the executive sous chef is um, Jameer. And I was talking to both of them about, like, the themes. And they were, like, open to anything. And I was like, what would a menu with, like, canceled food items or dishes, like a theme on cancel culture, like, if they were served at this place, like, uh, like canceled things? I don't know. This thing out loud. Hmm. But on to the things that's been happening outside of this world. Um, so, yeah. So, here's some of the like the hot stuff that's been going on or not so good stuff that's going on. Look, Donald Trump, y'all, I think he's getting arrested tomorrow. I think he's getting arrested this week. I know there's been a lot of speculation about it. But let's be clear. Um, Manhattan District Attorney uh, DA um, Alvin Bragg, this brother, I, I think he, I think he's got it. I think, it, I think it's getting real. Trump is going down. And it's all because of Stormy Daniels, as it appears to be. So the situation seems to be that the prosecution, prosecutors are looking into Trump. It's not even about his other financial things. Like, it seems like there's a lot of people trying to get Trump. But it looks like Manhattan's got everything together. And a lot of that is because of, um, you know, Michael Cohen, okay, his former attorney, who is just like, Child, Michael Cohen is singing like a canary, baby. He let it all go. He folding, 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 folding more like a bed sheet. Okay, he is very determined to, you know, take Trump down. He spent some time behind bars. He got debarred. He's disgraced uh, former attorney, but he wants to come out and say everything. And he's allowed to tell the tale, so you know it's saying a lot. But Trump has even went on social media and said um, that. You know, um, he's, he basically said on Truth, which is his Truth social app, um, that he is going to get indicted um, on Tuesday. That's what he's saying. Um, this upcoming Tuesday. So this would be March 21st, um, which is a month before my a month since my book has come out, the case for cancel culture. All of this feels like it's a full circle moment. But it, it, it just seems like. 
he he's basically like, look, he's going down and he wants people to protest. He wants people to fight for him because if he because if he gets arrested on Tuesday, you know, they're trying to decide, are they going to put handcuffs on him? Are they going to, you know, there's going to be a process to get him in there because New York, Manhattan district attorney's offices, the way they do arrests in the police department stuff. They got that stuff down to a science. A science. They know how to deal with the media and making sure high-profile folks get into the building, get through the system without craziness. So they're gonna have to make. They're, they're probably gonna have to, you know, adjust their whole settings to to arrest him. Now he's gonna get on get off on bail. Like Trump's not gonna be spending hours upon hours in jail um, because he does have the access. But the fact that he will then be arrested and indicted. He'll be the first president in American history to experience this level of criminal, um, you know, accountability post presidency. Like what a disgrace. So so he he definitely um, this will definitely significant. I mean, this goes without saying, but this will definitely um, tamper any upcoming presidential goals he had for 2024. It, it will definitely get him out, the, get him out the race for sure. Um, even though there has been reports that Trump's lead amongst Republicans have a lot to do with voters of color that are converting over to him. So, you know, I'm not trying to pay those polls too much attention. I think that sometimes they're not reading the numbers all the way there yet. They they take one piece of the information and go, OK, well, this is how some people feel. But then some of this shit is like. Well, I mean, to a certain extent, I mean, how many voters, did, how many voters did you talk to? And I'm not thinking that black and brown people vote in a monolith, but how many black people are deviating away from Biden to go for him? I just think some of this is just a little bit overhyped. And I just think sometimes people get shocked that, oh, my goodness, there's black people that that support, you know, Trump It's like, well, yeah, every every pocket of every race, there's some there's some idiot that's going to support him. Um, but but the the question becomes why is there a disproportionate amount of white people that largely support Trump? You know, I just what what is it about him that got them going? Like, is there there's this weird unspoken code that all black voters um, are Democrats, and it's like mm, Democrats are not that great either. But I would argue that more of us clearly, if we do choose to vote, we we are going to vote Democrat because we recognize that the Republicans don't have much to give us. Um, and just because you don't like Democrats don't mean you vote for Republican. You can also vote third party or you can just choose not to vote at all if that's your option. I mean, why throw your vote out to somebody that you're trying to get to see your side when there's a group that do get to see your side? And maybe you could actually shame them into acknowledging that and moving forward. So I, I'm more so on that type of time when it comes to certain elected officials and things in office that there should be more amplification, accountability of those individuals up front rather than this behoveth, oh, we, we have to be party loyalist type of people every five seconds. So, you know, there's that. But, you know, as far as um, Trump goes, I mean, clearly there the people, Alvin Bragg is being looked at as somebody who might really get into him for, um, you know, something of a felony. Now, let me back up a little bit for those who don't know what happened. So basically, Trump had sexual relations with Stormy Daniels, who was a former adult entertainment, you know, star. Um, they paid her off. Michael Cohen paid Stormy Daniels off. Now, Michael Cohen lied about this years ago, and he was um, arrested and, and found for lying. But at the time, this was all dealing with Michael Cohen. This wasn't dealing with Trump. 
there was some speculation about holding Trump accountable, but you know, it, it's it's very unlikely that a sitting U.S. president is getting the type of criminal charges and in behavior that he now gets now as a private citizen or a citizen that is not. I mean, that's not a president. Let's just say that he's he is a civilian. I don't know how private he's, he's kind of public, but the reality is is that the the plan would be. Um, well, the argument was that, look, he took he gave hush money and then, you know, this was to basically bribe um, an important you know person from saying something um, to the press or whatnot. So there's a lot of deception there. But the real deception is, is that this is like one hundred thirty thousand one hundred thirty thousand dollars, I believe, in hush money. The, the real deception and the real legal problems here is that the money came from one of Trump's companies rather than Trump's personal finances. And so therein lies the the larger conspiracy and the allegations around corruption is that this individual Trump allegedly, right, was using money from his company's business to pay off a bribe, which is also very highly inappropriate, um, of someone. And, and given who it is and what it's for, all of this, you know, provides some really concerning legal judgments that were inappropriate in his in his in his situation as a business person would not. So it's less about what he did during his presidency, but more what he did prior to that and how we did to get to his presidency. So that that's the you know, that's you know, we're going to find out this week if this is the big time. This is it. He acts like it is. I'm also hearing from people that maybe Trump is creating some of this animosity and hype because he wants another January 6th incident to happen, allegedly. Um, based on the way he keeps talking about protests and protests and protests is almost like he's inciting it. So I want to see, you know, we got January 6th, 2021. Um, um, now what's going to happen on March 21st, 2020, you know, what's going to happen on that date, right? What's going to happen Tuesday? Is it super Tuesday? What kind of Tuesday is going to be? We got to figure out what is given, but I'm, I'm very much so kind of, you know, taking a step back and side-eyeing some of it. I will say also, too, that there is this energy um, from some voters that have this attitude of, you know, why are we not reading the signs? You know, you see Kevin McCartney, um, who McCarthy, I mean, who is, you know, now the the Speaker of the House, he's a Republican. The House, the Republicans have the House majority. He is not encouraging protests. He's coming out very clear about that distinction. And I think that is agitating Trump to a certain degree because I think Trump really wants, you know, because he says I have this hearing and all this other stuff. But like, that's not what Trump seems to want. He wants to, he wants action. He wants his people to rally up the base and really get that energy going again. You know, now that he's getting arrested, he wants them to tear down New York. Listen, y'all ain't fucking with New York like that. Y'all try that shit in D.C. with that Capitol building, but you try to come do that in New York. And all I'm saying is, is that for all this talk about police funding, police, you know, we're not friends. But are you going to be bringing that smoke that you bring for Black Lives Matter protesters? You know, are you bringing that energy, the tear gas? You know, you, you know I'm just saying, are you bringing that energy 
to, to stop whatever potential violence could occur. Because it's funny how police know how to act when white supremacists and bigots are the ones out there, you know, on the streets, in the, in the streets. Somehow people understand First Amendment rights for hate speech and bigotry like that. But then for some reason, when it's black and brown people and women and civility, and, and all of a sudden people are, you know, they, they don't know how to do that. They don't know how to, you know, respect that and honor that, that, that distance in that space. So, I'm just curious to see who's going to show up and how people are going to show up that day. But to be quite honest, my black ass is staying home. Um, I'm not even going to be out in these streets like that, you know, too much either in the daytime because Philadelphia, New York is not that far away and Pennsylvania isn't either. So we'll see what happens on, um, you know, March 21st, you know, if, 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 if tomorrow, the big Tuesday, whatever, we'll see, we'll see what it's giving, but you know, some people argue it could be a stunt because he has already created, and I'm referring to Trump, like maybe Trump is saying this to build actual money to fundraise um, for his, his slow campaign. He's already ran ads and little you know, promotions already apparently trying to capitalize on his current moment. So we'll see if it pays off or pays out for him. But I'm just like, I, I do think something's coming because there's just so much anxiousness over there in New York and especially given his office. So. We'll see. We'll see. You know, as always, I'm going to definitely stay woke on it, but we'll, we'll definitely see because nationally right now, if that happens, I mean, earth shattering for sure. So, you know, there's this one thing that I think is something I don't know if it's. Mm, so I saw this flyer that went out. Um, it's an event that is coming up. Um, it's a fundraising event, but I thought it was an interesting type of fundraising event of sorts when I looked at the flyer. And my goodness, these these events, these fundraisers. Let me, let me pull it up. I'm looking right here. I'm trying to make sure I have the right the right fly with the right information because there's been several things floating around but I'm trying to find it oh there it go so it says join Philadelphia's drag community for drag queens for Jim Harity featuring remarks from rep Kenyatta Johnson they're having this event at Woody's and I didn't I thought to myself first of all it's supposed to, it's actually happening, um, Wednesday at Woody's. I, I thought to myself when I heard about this, I was like, what kind of, I was like, what kind of person? I don't know. I thought it was, I just thought it was the weirdest thing ever because Jim Harrity is this straight white guy who is on city council, city council at large. But I guess this is this pandering event. I, I just thought it was cringy. I just thought the idea was. I just, I understand what they thought they were doing, which was, oh, you know, we're going to have this Northeast, you know, labor back white guy, you know, having a fundraiser at a gay bar like Woody's. And it's like, do anyone read the, you know, do anyone read the room anymore? Like, no one goes to Woody's anymore. I mean, let me clarify that. If you, if you are in the know, you know that people don't, go to Woody's like that anymore. I mean, the people that go to Woody's now is like, you know, it's, it's, it's folks that's from out of town, folks that's lived in Philadelphia for less than five years, old gay men who 
oftentimes are nostalgic about what the gay people used to be. Uh, who else? Women who, you know, think that that is gay Philadelphia at its finest, which it isn't. Folks that want to have bachelorette parties. You know, it's that kind of energy. But I'm just thinking to myself, wasn't there already conversation? Well, you know what? I digress because I'm like, I want to be like, well, didn't we have this conversation about racism in a neighborhood? Didn't we talk about certain bars? But it's just like, no, folks are just like, mm, you know, they're they're focused on other things. They're, you know, they're they're what I would consider, you know, woke every, you know, five seconds. Um, but then they fall back to sleep. And it's even funnier because I just not even funny, but just disappointed. It's like, so Malcolm, this is what you're doing now. You're you're having, you're you're bringing in the straights to the neighborhood to have fundraisers at Woody's, and you're just like, oh well, because it's me on my name's on it. Then you know, child. And I, you know, it's funny to me is that I can imagine, you know, what it would be like if it was somebody else doing it. Um. You know, that's what I'm thinking about in my mind. Like, if, if somebody else was elected, like, I don't know, state rep Brian Sims, I, I can imagine, you know, I can imagine that. But, you know, it's, it's very telling. It's very telling. Um, but, you know, here we are. I think the pride of logic was, was because, you know, there's all this conversation about people trying to brand, like ban drag shows and, 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 and those type of things across the country. So I guess the logic was, oh, we'll have a fundraiser off of that controversy. I, no matter how you spin it, I feel like it's tone deaf. I just, I don't, I don't get it. it the flyer is ridiculous. I just, mm-mm-mm. speaking of mess. I've been following this petition signature stuff. I, I'm finally, mm, I want to say caught up, but I kind of figured, I kind of, I'm seeing some of the patterns. Honestly, I can't wait till some of this petition challenger stuff is over because a lot of it is just, it, it's, it, some of it is just frivolous shit. And then some of it's just like, oh my God, if you're on the ballot, you're on the ballot. If you're not, you're not. But right now there's a bunch of people being challenged. Um, and, I've been trying to follow which ones are making sense, which ones are being dismissed. There's so much back and forth, but I'll tell you about at least two, because some of them are just city council at large people being challenged. It's like, well, we'll see if they're making a bell or not. We'll find out by, I believe, by Thursday, um, what's the final result. Meaning, okay, by Thursday, all of the hearings, all the challenges, all the petitions, all that stuff will be straightened out. And by Thursday, we'll know who's on the ballot, who's not, and what's the T. But the two big districts that I'm focused on right now is the third district, which is in West Philadelphia, which is where I live, you know, the council medic district where Jamie Gautier is currently the incumbent. So she's going against someone named Jabari um, Jones, who is running a race against her. I, I That campaign has gotten really the wheels... At one point, it looked like there was something to look at. I mean, not that I never thought he would win, but I thought the race would be a little bit more um, interesting. What I'm hearing is apparently is that she's pretty much the challenges against her has pretty much dropped at this point. It's now looking like it's all about him. There was a story that ran the Inquirer about his signatures 
is looking like he's vulnerable and might lose. So we'll see how it's going to play out in the end. But it's looking like she's just probably going to be maybe unchallenged. Like she's not going to have a challenger, maybe. Um, but it's looking like she's probably going to cruise her way through. But we'll see. Because I think the challenges against her has been dropped. I don't think she's still challenged, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. But it's looking like it's going to be just her. Not 100%. You know, waiting to see how everything play out. But it's looking like she's going to be pretty much fine in the 3rd District. Now, the race that I really want to talk about is the 5th District. Now, this is the one that Daryl Clark, uh, Council President Daryl Clark, has just left. He left this seat. Um... We reti- he's retiring. But there's been some drama because all of the major um, players who I talked about earlier, um, Alicia, who is the uh, chairperson, not chairperson, the staffer for um, State Senator Sharif Street. You have Curtis Wilkerson, who is the former chief of staff for Daryl Clark. And you have Jeff Young, who worked uh, previously for uh, Daryl Clark. So you have two of his former employees, and you have someone that works for Sharif Street, um, who who's being backed by Malcolm and some other people in in that district. But also, you know, Curtis is being backed by, um, you know, Daryl Daryl Clark. So there's a lot of people who are interested. I just think that the seat is it's it's contentious. If I if I if I had a, if I was a betting man. Um, then, you know, I would argue, um, you know, you know, I would say, um, if I was a betting man, I would, I would, I would say Curtis right now seems to be the person in which is what I was saying earlier. Like he's getting some endorsements from a bunch of people, but the messy part is, and this is the part that, that, that the conversations got in a little, a little, a little south. There was chatter that in one Ward, a really prominent open ward, the eighth ward, I believe, um, was supposed to have a caucus this weekend. And the ward leader um, scheduled it, told people about it, and then shortly after decided to not have it. And it caused some commotion. There was some speculation that there was going to be a protest, which there was some chatter, but it was only like two people who quote unquote, I believe protested physically. But there was all this, you know, demand about it. And um some people on Twitter got involved and were saying things like, you know, probably people saying, hey, you know, this is the establishment and Bob Brady and, and Sharif Street that's trying to allegedly this was the this was what was the claim, was trying to buy time to get endorsement support for Alyssa Richardson. Not Richardson, is that how I say Richardson? Oh, it is Richardson. Yeah, Alyssa Richardson. That's her name. Okay. So they were saying that the that the Democratic machine, you know, basically Bob Brady and um, Sharif Street allegedly were trying to, you know, influence this so that um, there could be more time to get endorsement support for their fave, which was Alyssa. And that, you know... Everybody knows that Curtis Wilkerson is the favorite choice because he's been getting endorsements across the board, including one by the 23rd Ward recently. So that that was the conspiracy that was going around. But what I heard was is that now that petitions have gone out, there has been a lot 
ever since all of the candidates are challenged. All of the candidates have been challenged. So the argument is apparently is that the ward leaders knew who had the position. The ward leader has been there for like 60 days, has, I think, 60, 90 days. They've only been there for a small period of time. They weren't aware that all of the candidates were challenged and that they felt like, well, let's wait to see how this plays out. And then, like, basically, after Thursday, right, they would say, okay, let's see who gets knocked off the ballot or if anyone gets knocked off the ballot. Then we make the endorsement based on that. So that was the logic. So that's why they decided to change it. They they really should have never booked it to begin with because I think that's what caused the confusion. But like in retrospect, it does make sense. Like, I mean, yeah, like if some if, if all of the candidates are being challenged, I mean, that looks like a risk, right? Because if you endorse somebody, you don't know if that person might survive. So, you know, one could argue that you know, you should reserve the endorsement until after you see how the results play out. You know, is that a conspiracy? I don't know. But to me, that argument that was presented, I think, is sound. Again, timing is everything, but I don't I don't think it's the mass conspiracy that some people think. I've been noticing this thing lately on social media. As a political journalist, this is something that really grind my gears, is that everyone is trying to play reporter now and journalist now. And and it's it's funny because, you know, white people specifically, white progressives, get to really say crazy shit on the internet every all the time. Um, and just, you know, use names and say crazy stuff. And like no one wants to challenge them or buck at them in the same way that if I, right, as a black journalist who is a person who covers politics, if I say it, it carries a very different way. And I, I mean, I think it should, right? But it's just something to be said that like, when I'm talking about general audiences, some people will try to hold me to the same, hold these people like, oh, they'll say to me, like, they'll say, Ernest, this is why this happened. And I'll go, no, I don't think that's there. Well, I saw John Geating say it. Well, I'm sorry, baby. John Geating isn't a journalist. He's just somebody who gets on Twitter and says what he wants. Now, he represents what he represents, but he's no journalist. Okay, so no shade, but I don't really care what he says measured up to what I know for fact. And I think sometimes that is what annoys me a little bit about being in this media space because they'll be like, oh, well, this person said it. I'm like, well, who the fuck is this person to say something that is almost like you're, unless you're like the CEO of the company or you're the subject in line, but just out here on Twitter picking and choosing what you want to weigh in on and creating an identity off of that, it's, mm, especially when you have, personal agendas like you you know you're running for office you know you're you're seeking this you're seeking that it's very transactional and sketchy and honestly because people like me do what i do right this is what i do as a profession like i have no interest in running for office i have no interest in any of the other political maneuver outside of covering it and i think sometimes people who decide to step their toe step their toe into trying to lead these conversations aren't transparent about what their what their gain is or maybe what it is is just like they're coming from it from one angle because they're trying to carve an identity and i've seen that happen all the time i see it happen with a lot of the helen gim supporters on the internet a lot of the you know just general folks on social media come from these different wards and circles and connections and developer base you know, worlds, I, I, they they frame themselves like they're just regular community people. But it's like, 
no, homie, you're you're doing a lot more than that. You're you're out here profiting off of a lot of the gentrification and a lot of the miscommunication <laughs> that's going out here in the community. So I, I I I tell people check the source, check the source, and I'm not you know saying one person's wrong or whatever. I'm just saying that I've noticed this trend lately where some people just are treating themselves like they're amongst the. I'm gonna be cute. I'm going to be cute. I'm going to keep it cute. Um, but yeah, so the 5th District is in shambles. There was a guy initially who was announced that he was raised. His name is John Hankins. And I was a little annoyed when I found out. I think he withdrew last week. You know, my thing is, is that there's people that have been running literally since, oh my God, I don't know, like August, the summer. Like they was putting up flyers, announcing and talking. And it's like, you do all of that. You spend all these these damn months promoting and talking about your race and doing X, Y, Z, but you can't get on the ballot when it's all said and done. It's like 750 signatures. You can't get 750 fucking signatures. You're knocking on all these doors. You're doing all this stuff. I mean, like, it's just, to me, it's just the most annoying thing. And you can all, and I feel like every election cycle, you always know those handful of people that's like, you're just in it for something else and you're not going to make it on the ballot. Winning is almost impossible, but like, even the mere fact of whether this circus will be on the ballot or not, it, it just feels like there's always some buyout, some cross out because it is not easy running for office. And a lot of people, I think, are starting to realize that. Like, it is not easy to run for office. And, and we got to stop, you know, this culture of everybody run, 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 because then you get in situations like what happened to your fave trash man, which, by the way, me and him spoke. Um, stay tuned. I'll just say that. Me and him have spoken. Stay tuned. I think some of you all may have told him about um, my podcast episode last week and, you know, my tweets about what was going on um, last week when that story came out of the Philadelphia Inquirer. So I'll just say that we had a conversation. Uh, I think a really good conversation. I, and I, and you know, I, you know, I don't, listen, I don't, I don't ever, you know, whatever I say publicly, I, I'll say to people directly. It wasn't on that type of time. Let me just clarify. It wasn't that, it wasn't contentious like that or anything, but it was a good, no, it was a good conversation. And they was very open and, you know, they, they understood where I was coming from and they, and they felt, you know, they, you know, they, they, you know, they get, they got it. Um, it, it, it Yeah. I, I, I'll be quiet for now, but you'll, you'll know more about that conversation later. I'll say that much. Uh, not on this podcast, but somewhere else. I'll say that much. Um, so what I will say, wrapping up about the 5th District, that is interesting. When I spoke to Daryl Clark, Daryl Clark said he endorsed Curtis Wilkerson. What I'm hearing from people is when someone, because I know this question was lingering, everyone's asking what were the all what why are all of them being challenged? Why does it seem like all of them are being challenged or whatever? Part of the problem is is that there are people that are blaming Daryl Clark slightly. Daryl Clark, so petition signatures went out officially February 14th. There's only a small window of time that candidates have before they announce. It appears as though he well, he announced his retirement days after 
petitions with public. So initially, a lot of people did not, you know, collect signatures because it appeared that they were waiting to see whether Daryl was going to retire or not retire. Because there's always been this thing where he does this swan song of like, oh, I'm, 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 I might, I don't know, what my final decision is. And this time, in the middle of petition signatures, he decides to retire in the middle of the drama of it all. So he didn't do it in a fashion that people would argue is a timely fashion to which he would do so respectfully before petition signatures. Because normally, you know, if anybody was going to drop out, whatever, you're supposed to do it before petitions collections because, you know, then you can know what the slate is. There were some candidates who did not want to jump in a race where the incumbent was running someone especially of his stature because some a lot of those people have respect for him so his past employees right his former employees none of them i think like wilkerson clearly and, and jeff young you know i don't think any of them were going to be in their heads like i'm going to go against my my former boss or whatever or take him on like i i think their mindsets were they wanted to see how it was going to play out before they jumped in. There had been a speculation for the entire year that Daryl Clark was going to retire. But this also happened in 2019 and it had hard, it had bad implications then when he didn't do it because there were some people, I think like Donna Bullock, who at that time was speculated. I don't even want to say speculate because I look, the shit was known for a fact. There was interest from Daryl, from, um, from Donna Bullock to potentially be in that seat. But then, Darrow did not retire. So then everything went back to as it was. Um, but that same situation was here, but this time he decides in the middle petition signatures that he wanted to. A lot of people think that that was, was why it was reckless. A lot of people thought it was inconsiderate. But he says that he was genuinely thinking about it. And he really came to the conclusion in the middle like that. I mean... Maybe that's true. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know why he would deliberately announce in the middle. I don't think he wanted to char create chaos. It appears that everybody, including Curtis Wilkerson, none of the, none of his people actually knew that he was going to retire. They all decided to jump in once he decided he was going to retire. Um, but it was in the middle of the petition. So they missed days to collect signatures. So now there's arguments that because of that, that those days missing, there is speculation on signatures because, you know, let's say if you got to get 750 signatures, you don't supposed to just get 750 signatures, right? Because if you, if someone's trying to knock off the ballot, if they claim that let's say 20 of your signatures are, are not legible and they're fake or whatever, and the judge believes it, the judge can knock those 20 off and then you down to 130. So therefore you're disqualified. So, you know, you're supposed to get like, I mean, arguably, I, well, I don't know. I'm not, I would get three times the number. So if they told me, Ernest, you need to have 750, I would shoot for 3,000. But that's just me. Because if you show up with 3,000 or, or maybe 2,500, whatever. If you show up with that many, it's going to take a lot to knock off that many damn signatures to to make it less than 750. But if you come in at the table with 760 or 770 and you got a tight race where someone wants to challenge you, don't challenge it. So that's what's happening here with Curtis and Alyssa and Jeffrey. They all challenge it because their signature count is not that superior. 
So it's it's creating, but a lot of that is because they didn't have as much time. Because you have to, the moment you get trust positions on, on, that, on that February 14th, you know, a lot of people start hitting them grocery stores ASAP, right? They got teams collecting signatures. But in this situation, it just seemed like everybody was kind of like, you know, doing what they can. Plus, it's in a district race. So that everybody who gets the signatures, they have to live in your district. Citywide races require a thousand, but you can go to every hood in the neighborhood in Philadelphia County for the most part. If you run in a district, you got to get it specifically in, at where your 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 you live. So you want to go to grocery stores, maybe some corner store, corner corner stores. You know what I mean? Gas station maybe, but you got to really. I mean, it's hard because you're you're gonna have to go to public libraries. You know which ones ever open, but you're gonna have to go to like super super local events to guarantee that your residents live in the zip codes and live in the district. So it's a lot of work, but again. If you can't get the signatures to rough office, what makes you think you'll get the votes to get elected to office? I mean, that's just my my logical thinking on it. So we'll we'll see. So I have a little update for you. Um, there was a lot of chatter around last week's episode where I discussed this guy named John Brady, who was out here having my name in his mouth along with Will Mega and Melissa Roberts and other people. You know, just black folks that he was trying to act like Kapasi be behind this 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 really really spicy Twitter account called Philly Blast. Now I think over time people realize that it's clearly not me because one I don't put typos in my shit. Second I get paid for my shit. Third, like what the fuck y'all? I put my name on it clearly. Um, so one of the people you know somebody listened to this episode. Um, Will Mega, you know, saw um, John Brady at this event and he kind of rolled up on him, not on, on a violent tip, but just was like, you know, I heard you was looking for me kind of energy. Safe, but at the same time, confrontational. Apparently, John Brady was covering his tracks. He used a scapegoat for why he said what he said, apparently. Now he's, you know, thinking twice, saying, oh, I wasn't, you know, that wasn't intent. You know, first of all, Philly is small. People hear things. Now he's trying to cover his tracks about saying that he was relaying a message here versus that it didn't originally come from him. All right. Okay. All right. But see, moral story here is, you know, you got to make sure you're mindful about what you say about people because you never know. Listen, you have to know. If you if you said something, just know that it could go, it could get out if you're not talking to your close friends. If you're out here in the public just having opinions. I can't tell y'all how many times, I mean, people are wild, where they'll be at an event and somebody will be saying something and they will be, they don't even text me unless it's like someone close, close to me that I trust. But it'd be like, they will send me, they'll be, they'll pull out that little phone, a little Instagram and send me a DM video of somebody saying some things. And and, and half the time, not even half the time, I'll say 90% of the time, I don't necessarily confront that person because maybe the, the, whatever the person said, it's not anything that rises to the level where I need to say anything, but it's just interesting because I like to just, I don't know. I just like to know who's fake. And it's just duly noted in my head for different reasons. And you can imagine what they are, right? Like you go to an event, you see somebody, and it's the same person that's like, oh, hi, how's it been? And, you know, what's been going on? And it's like, you know what's been going on because you're sitting up talking about my book tour and why you didn't get an invitation or something. 
and you didn't even realize that somebody in that room was an earnest stand and wanted to let me know in their own way. Like, ops be everywhere. And I don't even be having ops like that. Like, I don't even be sending people out to do anything like that. People just, I think, genuinely care about me so much that they make it a point to keep me abreast of whatever is going on and what's happening. And sometimes they confront people and have full-ass arguments. I, I've heard about those things too, right? And there are some people that's like, you know, I'm just here to carry the information because I think it's more important for me to relay this important information than to chime in either way. We we take it all over here, um, and earnestly speaking. But I, I I will tell you that it is it is interesting. It has been it's it's never a surprise. And and then a lot, a lot of times I don't say anything publicly. I'll just be like, hmm. But all I will say is you will note that some people that I used to be friends with. I'm not friends with anymore. And it's not that many people. I mean, some, I won't name names, but I would just say that you, you take that healthy distance, um, from certain folks that are just around to be around versus to be sound, you know, that there is a difference presence versus actual performance. Are people just around or how are they performing? You know, that's how I assess a good friendship or any relationship, to be honest. Like, sometimes in life, you're with people based on seniority. Like, it's like we've been together for a long time because we've known each other for a long time. And it's like, okay, you can keep using seniority, but if the person's not serving you um, or y'all not in a position where it feels natural or real, sometimes you just got to let it go, you know, because that, you know, that's how it is. And so I've, I've been thinking about relationships lately that I've I've let go of in different ways. And it's not, and sometimes it just naturally falls apart because two people just know. And it's sometimes, you know, maybe you have to have a conversation. But I've realized that one time I had a conversation with somebody I, I'm no longer friends with now, I tried to give them, like, basically up front, like, say, hey, this is this. And then they just never, and then even after that, they still were not, they just was it just still wasn't right and so event the relationship ended up the, just naturally separating within itself and it's like well then damn i shouldn't even have the courage i should just took trust in my instinct and just just gut it so i don't know i think it's different ways to depart from relationships and friendships but whatever you do just make it a point just make it happen um in a timely fashion because Life is too short to be lingering um, with, you know, folks that you don't trust or you don't feel, you know, completely connected to. So that's that. So these mayors are fighting, are finally fighting. Let me just say that. And OK, so I wrote this piece last week about that. I think it's time for gloves to fall off and the mayoral candidates race. Now, right now, only one one candidate is being challenged, uh, which is Amon Brown, who's a state rep. He is being challenged apparently by Jeff Brown's people, which allegedly. So I would say that the reason why that's happening in my mind is because Jeff Brown and Armin Brown, they have the same last name. And if somebody's, you know, if there's a petitions, somebody might be like, oh, okay, Brown. Yeah, I do remember Brown. Okay, well, I'm black. I think it's Armin. Is it Jeff or Armin? I mean, it's probably Brown, one of the Browns. If they see the last, if they see the last name, and the positioning, they might, you know, arguably. But see, 
I don't know why people assume Philly voters are so dumb. I don't think Philly voters are dumb. I think the people that actually go to the polls to vote know who they're voting for and why. I mean, they're, some of them may be following the petition of the Democratic Party, and that's their prerogative. Some people are like, look, I just want to elect Democrats because that's just what I'm going to do. So they will be instructed by whatever the positions are. But because Philadelphia has such a very low voter turnout, I feel like, which is not good, but I feel like the people that do vote, they 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 pretty much have an idea with who they're voting for and why. I think, um, you know, there has been surveys and data being collected that says that so, like 50% of residents don't even know who their state representative is or whatnot. Now, I know who all of my elected officials are, but what I will say is that eh, some of this could be caused by redistricting. But I'm going to I'm going to be cute because there was just a big redistricting last year and I lost my previous state rep. So my previous state rep last year was actually Armin Brown. But now my new state rep is Rick Kajewski. I found that out based on redistricting um, of hearing about the maps. But I believe I haven't started voting for, I think maybe November was when I was first able to vote for my new state rep. But I just think that that might be one reason why some electors don't know. They were also talking about apparently um, city council people apparently didn't know their city council person or whomever. I mean, and that doesn't have anything to do with redistricting. But I just also am wondering, like, who are those people they were surveying? Because in a situation where only 30% of eligible voters are voting, then when you look at the 70% out there, if they're not participating regularly in the voting process or local elections, eh. but anywho, I, I wonder if they would have, if they should have. My, I'm referring to the Linfest Institute. There's this big survey on civic engagement, how people are feeling about the about the city, and a lot of it, a lot of it. I would say, I mean, a lot of it's like doom and gloom. Like there's a lot of people who just simply are not happy with the way the the city is going, the direction is going. The top issues um, in respective order is public safety, number one, number two, education. And number three, potholes. People care about potholes. Okay. Um, I mean, I don't drive, but I do, I do, you know, my husband drives. So I, I do get it. I, the pothole situation in Philadelphia is wild. But what I was hearing in an interview that I had with Jim Herity from City Council, this is for City Council Live, he said that a lot of these quote unquote potholes aren't potholes. They're actually these gaping spaces like almost like manufactured potholes that in construction um they'll there, there are a lot of construction that when they do the road pavement sometimes they they fill a gap where it implies that it's up to speed like an even road but honestly they're just speeding up their construction process and eventually these quote-unquote fillers fade into a, a, a like a, a shallow spot like a big, huge, shallow spot that then drivers drive over. And of course, they feel that that ump under before they go up. It's it's very, I'm sounding very mechanical here, but basically some of y'all may know what I'm talking about. Like in construction, when it's supposed to pave out these roads and make them even, sometimes they, they fake, apparently they put something over it that gives the impression that the streets are like, oh, everything's even smooth. But in reality, that's only a small little substitute before eventually that shit falls off and then there's like this little gaping 
hole or whatever that when cars drive, they, that's why it will be this weird boom all of a sudden you're going back up. And I've had that experience a lot in West Philly when I'm riding an Uber where they'll be like everything's going smooth and all of a sudden there's this big, huge like bump. And it's not a pothole. It, 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 people think those are potholes. It's just bad fucking construction. And so apparently Jimmy Harity um, in city council has a, a, I guess a bill where he's going to penalize or try to stop those types of practices on the streets. We'll see. I mean, but but potholes are big to you all. You all care about that. That's a high level uh, matter on the third issue spectrum. Education, number two, public safety, number one. Um, so what's interesting about that is there is there are a lot of of candidates right now in this race for mayor. It's crowded. Nobody has dropped out, really. Now, one. Well, let me clarify that. One candidate who has dropped out is, um, what's his name? What is his name? Um, Mike Stack, who never really had a chance. So Mike Stack is out there, but he left before petitions were declared. But everyone else is pretty much still on the ballot, right? Well, as you know, I've already told you who my A-viable candidates are. And everybody else, I'm sorry, James Leon, former judge James Leon, Warren Bloom, I just don't find you viable. Um... There's this other now guy, his name is John. He's a white man who is, I guess, a former cop or something, and he wants to run. Now, let me tell you why he matters for now. It's because he there was ballot petitions, um, which people are talking about ballot petitions, and he had a really great ballot petition, um, which has gotten folks really excited. So, you know, for people that don't know who this guy is, um, I want to make sure I, I say his name right, but it uh, his name is John Wood, and he served on the Marine One. Um, and he has an ex cop brother. Um, but he's also declared bankruptcy twice, and yeah, his name is John Wood. He is on number one on the ballot so for, for what i mean by on the ballot is that right now you know like last week they have this historical thing in philly city council where they get a coffee tin you know can and then you know somebody that the person's been connected to or whomever comes and they they have um your name in there and they pick your name randomly out of the tin can and that will decide what ranking you will be so john wood was number one number two was Sherelle Parker on the ballot, which people argue that good ballot position helps voters vote. So if you, you know, and when voters vote, sometimes they'll just go for whatever the first thing they see in addition to everything else. Um, and so there is a, a bunch of potential high voting that you'll get. Apparently the people with the best ballot positioning based on visualness, apparently it was Rebecca Reinhardt. She ranked high as well. Who ranked super low was um, Helen Gim. I don't think she was at the, the the total bottom, but apparently she ranked really low um, in, in in the positioning. Uh, for city council, it seemed like a lot of the incumbents were very very low at the bottom of the of the ballot position ranking. But I want to make a very interesting point. Um, I think the whole ballot positioning thing again isn't as big of a deal for city council people. Now these judicial candidates running, 
I can see that because people don't really know, follow the judges. But there is a black woman who is at number one. Um, her name is Natasha. She's a candidate running for judge. She's ranked number one on the the judges list for uh, Court of Common Pleas. And so I think that's going to, that ballot position is going to help her really well. I could see her winning. Um, and I think she will win. I hope she does. Um, just to be honest. Um, but she's ranked number one. And it'll be interesting to see if petition signatures and all that, not petition signatures, but like just the, the overallness of voters. Cause I feel like some people might look at the bottom. Now, I kind of have this thing that I do sometimes where if I don't recognize all the names, I then go for women. I'm just like, okay, well, who are the women running? And if I can spot the names, I'll, 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 I'll vote for women. Um, of course, women Democrats, but. That's what I will sometimes do if I have slots. I, if I don't recognize a guy or, or certain people, I'll just go for the women, you know. Um, so there's interesting ways people choose to vote. Um, but I don't think the rankings are going to have that much matter. So in city council last session, uh, last cycle, cycle was in 2019. Derek Green was so low at the bottom. Um, and I remember there was a lot of people worried about him because there was also some messy stuff going on with, with ballots and, 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 you know, during election time, people was cutting him off and replacing him for other people. It was really bad for Derek when he ran for city council large for reelection in 2019. But in the end, he had the fourth largest amount of votes. So the ranking was then Helen Gim had the most votes for city council at large. Um, Alan Dom was number two. Isaiah Thomas was number three. Um, Derek Green was number four and Catherine Richardson was number five. So in spite of being at the very, at the very low, he still had the fourth highest voting. So, and I'll tell you, part of that is again, name recognition, being an incumbent, a lot of the different factors, but this city council large race right now, I feel like I know who's going to get it. Um, I think I know how that's shaping out to be. I feel like it's, it's pretty much, we know who the five are going to be. Um, am I ready to say that now? And maybe give me a next week. Let me let me find out next week. Let me see who's going to get off this ballot because that's going to shape the race in a certain kind of way. Let me see who fall off before I put that final five out there. Who I think? Because um, because at this point I'm not making endorsements. I'm just telling you who I think um, will be there, and it's whether I like them or not. To be honest, because some of these people I'm just like, ugh. But it's looking good for you, right? I could do that. That's what journalists do. You can you can you can. Hold nuance for the things you like and the things that you don't like in policy. You have to, because at the end of the day, the public needs to know what we're, what we're going up against, right? So the, the race, you know, at first felt a little boring. I'm not going to hold you. And I've been talking about this for a while. Like, I just felt like there's no fire. Where's the energy? Where's the drama? That's what I thought before this week. Let me just clarify, because I'm not saying the same. I'm not singing the same song now. But it just felt like it took a lot for us to get to this point. It took a lot for us to come to some level of agreement where we could talk about what's happening in politics. Like, okay, so is it that we wait until people get on the ballot? I don't know. I think everyone was trying to weigh it out. They didn't want to get too ugly. Um, but as a result, it's been boring. Like, I don't know. Voters, I don't think, know who who they should be going for. Like, do, are we going for the, the, the tough on crime candidate? Oh, my bad. Everybody's tough on crime now. You know, nobody's talking about defund the police anymore. Everybody's going the whole, they're, they're finding some way to say refund the police in some type of weird way, which is a little cringy. Everybody wants to talk about public safety. Fine. Um, 
they're not debating on whether or not there should be more police. They're debating about how many more police. It's, it's a little disappointing. Um, there are people like Alan Don, who I will say is taking some interesting staunch approaches. Like he's like, look, I want to abolish the sheriff's office. And I'm like, hell yeah, personally. But, um, but there's different things that there's some camps are doing, but like a lot of it is just not enough distinction. Like I'm, you know, people are still trying to feel like what, what, like Alan Dom and Jeff Brown, these are two rich white men. I'm still trying to figure out why both of them want to run for mayor. I feel like the type of super rich businessman model is like, ugh. But let me tell you about that, Jeff Brown. Let me tell you, though, okay, there was a story that came out in the news about this potential board of ethics investigation, which is why I'm saying the gloves are off now with some of these candidates. They are looking into what did he coordinate with his, um, with a, with a pack, which you're not supposed to do with outside independent expenditure. Um, to be honest, I, I'm not going to say yes or no, because again, I'm not the one investigating it. But what I will say, from my personal observation, this is just me and my analysis. It can be subjective based on how people perceive it, whatever. But what I will say is, is that I did find it interesting that with those Michelle Obama ads, Jeff Brown ran his ads at the same time that this uh, for Philly Progress, um, which is the pack that's been backing Jeff Brown or supporting Jeff Brown independently or whatever. The, it seemed like they were dropping their, you know, Michelle Obama's, you know, ads, which have now many people have called them being manipulated. You know, I broke that story and, and, and brought it up that I was the one who, who, who broke that there was some trouble in paradise over there with the ads. And then of course everybody else then jumped on and realized, oh, we should cover this. And everybody started to dig a little deeper. But, you know, look at the source. Look who started the conversation. It was so much the inquir the inquirer had followed up on the story, but they couldn't even deny that they had to source me. They didn't source me by name. They sourced publication because they're petty. But like everybody knew who wrote the story, right? And this is what they do to black journalists. They 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 have to bite off our work. They don't cite their sources. They play those type of games. They they don't give full you know credit like i don't know it, it's always funny with them when it comes to stuff like that. they've been doing that to me for like years like i would i would break some story and then they jump on it you know try to reduce what i do like one time they referred to me as a blogger in an article and i was like yeah no they referred to the lgbtq section of philly mag as some you know lgbtq blog site and it's like bro it's the philadelphia it's in philadelphia magazine put some fucking respect on it stop playing like, stop fucking playing. And it was that kind of hateration that was happening a couple of years ago. And they always play with me like that. Like, they'll say, oh, uh, Philadelphia Magazine writer. Child, I'm the editor at large. Like, I have a title. Stop fucking playing with me. They do little things like that to try to undermine the work that I do. And I often, and, they, and they've done it because y'all already know what's going on. So it's like, it's a little bit of the shady shit. And when I talk to some of these reporters directly, because I'm like, um, excuse me. I want you, you know who I am. Don't play with me like that. Don't go, oh, no, no, it wasn't me. My editor did that. Or my editor added this. They blame the editors, child. But whatever the case is, it's like, why are we playing? Because there's nothing on my on my bio that says writer. It says journalist. And you say writer, anybody can write, but not everybody can be a journalist. And if I'm doing reporting, right, and I'm actually doing sourcing, that's journalism. Investigating, right? That work I do, that's not just writing boo-boo, okay? That's actually journalism. So there is a lot of disrespect that they do with a lot of so sourcing around the stuff that I do. And I've known this pattern for several years. And I think if I see them do it again, I am going to say something. I try to keep it, I, I just try not to get into the, into some of that type of stuff. 
But it is at a point where I feel like it's just disrespectful. And I do feel like it's slightly intentional because I don't see them doing that with other journalists in this industry. Um, but oftentimes they're not citing other black journalists work outside of people that work for them. Well, I'm just saying, it's just it's just interesting. And some of you all have seen it and have told me about it and said, hey, I, I noticed they did describe you in this way or they did. They, 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 yeah, that's all they're playing. They're playing. They've been playing like that for a minute. But Jeff Brown is in a situation um, for sure. And it's prompted Derek Green to have a press conference last Thursday where he basically headed outside of City Hall and publicly said like he thinks there needs to be more transparency in the investigation, meaning that this investigation shouldn't be prolonged until after the after the the primary, which is on May 16th. He believes they need to get to a resolution and figure out what the consequences are long before that. I agree because this is the same thing that has happened with Krasner. Krasner has just violated, has had ethical violations around campaign shit for like ever. Every cycle, he always gets reported um, when he runs. He gets in trouble. He gets fined. It's oftentimes for the same shit with the same people. And they now said like late November, like they all, it's always like after he's won or some shit. And this has been like a pattern that has happened in two cycles. I remember when it happened. 2017 was it and then before the 2013 i mean wait it was last year it was it was 2022 then it was in 2018 like when these fines happened but like he's violated the ethics countless times and it's always with that real justice pack which is sean king's co-founded pack it's that same circle of people and it's embarrassing and people never and it's funny because i've i've been writing on this for several years when it, when it comes to krasner and them but like the funny thing is, is that like I will write this stuff in advance, like in the midst of the primary. And then there will be follow up reporting that would then happen later on after the general election in November where the fines would then kick in. So I understand Derek Green's argument like he is saying to himself, look, if this man is really violating ethics, he should be stopped now rather than get fined later. And I wonder if. That was Jeff Brown's strategy. I don't know. I don't want to accuse the man of doing something he hasn't done, but I'll say allegedly, because it is allegations right now. There has been no, you know, final rulings. But, you know, if these allegations are true, I mean, given how how much does the Board of Ethics take their pretty time, what could argue that he probably could have allegedly thought to himself, allegedly, hmm, I... You know, I, I I I could take this risk. I could do what I'm doing with my coronation. Um, what's the risk? Could I could I get this disqualified? Probably not. I might get fined. I'm rich. I'm I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna you know whatever. Not get. I'll take the fine. But most likely, this is not going to impact me until after election. I just need to win this primary. So I I wonder if that was assessed allegedly. If that that's just a theory. It's it's not. It's you know it's a theory based on allegations. It, it I'm just saying to myself, this could be something, if this is true, that could be the logic. And honestly, that shit is strategic as fuck. Because it seems like board ethics, I don't know what they're doing over there when it comes to these elections, but it's like, they're not responding and reacting in a fast way that can guarantee consequences. We'll see. 
We'll see. Because even they're being tight-lipped about whether or not they are doing an investigation, but it's pretty much looking like there's an investigation for sure. But the gloves are coming off. So apparently there's been more. So Alan Dom has been coming for Jeff Brown in ads. Um, there's a website called The Real Jeff Brown. Um, I believe .com. I'm about to actually look it up as I talk to you. Because I saw this and I was gagging. Yep, the website is called TheRealJeffBrown.com. And what's interesting about it is that they're saying that, oh yeah, they're running these ads. They're saying Jeff Brown is running an unethical, an unethical campaign. Um, they uh, cited my piece about Daily Beast. They cited my article. They said Jeff Brown isn't just honest. Um, and they ran this uh, Daily Beast grocery grocery tycoons mayoral campaign has ticked off Michelle Obama and Black Philadelphians. That is my story, and they properly cited it. They they shared a quote, um, but they said Jeff Brown isn't ready for the job. I mean, they did their research, and this is Alan Dom's group who um, paid for it, uh, paid for the uh, for this website, paid for and authorized by Alan Dom for Philadelphia. Um, and they announced the treasurer. I mean, Je like Alan Dom is not playing any games and they're, and they even ran, um, my headline for my story. Um, they, they ran that in the attack ad. So I am in a, I'm in an attack ad y'all. My article is my work is, I, I mean, honestly, I don't write the material to be an attack ad, but I'm just like, wow, damn, they really be reading these campaigns really be reading. So does the public, but it's like, damn, like when you're in, when you're covering a race so well, that you know your work becomes a part of the the the, the tax and the conversation. I mean, I'm not saying I'm smitten. I'm just saying, like you know, listen, it's the work, right? So it's a lot. It's a lot going on, um, you know. And I'm super excited to hear all the news. But um, I also have some breaking news that um, I just received. Um, which is why some of you are my who are used to listening to my podcast super early in the morning. Um, I had to wait for this tea. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get to this in a, I'm gonna read this in a minute because it might come out before uh everybody else hears it. So it's a little it's a little much going on. But let me let me get to this. So this ethics investigation, I am definitely keeping an eye on. Derek Green is definitely going after him for it. Alan Dom is going after Jeff Brownie's ads. He's running TV ads on websites. Apparently next week or this week, they might start going after Helen Gim. That's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that a lot of the energy has been between Alan Dom and Jeff. Jeff Brown's getting the work, but apparently the focus is going to be on Helen this week. That's what I'm hearing from political insiders around these attack ads and conversations that, that it seems like there's a cycle. And the cycle typically is, you know, throw tomatoes at Jeff Brown. Go at Jeff Brown. Or some people go in at Alan Dom. It just seems to be a fight amongst those two. And then now there may be some attention on, on Helen Gimp. Now, other important news. Last week, Rebecca Reinhardt got her second mayoral endorsement. Um, the first person the mayor who endorsed her was John Street. Um and then the second person who endorsed her, mayor endorsed her, was Michael Nutter, which was last week. And now, apparently, Ed Rendell is making an announcement this week. Now, I don't know who the person is. There is speculation that Rebecca Reinhardt will get that third endorsement from a mayoral candidate. Now, Daryl Clark 
told me that he's going to also soon announce who he's endorsing for what is worth if people care. He seemed very kind of like shrugs about it, but apparently it's between two people. Um, not between two people. He's going to announce one person. Um, people are, are speculating that that person would be Sherelle Parker. That's the speculation. Some people said, well, maybe Maria, because he really has a good relationship with Maria Quinone Sanchez. But it's looking like he might endorse uh, Sherelle Parker. That is the rumor. We'll see. But Helen Gim, not Helen Gim, um, Ed Rendell is also making an endorsement um, soon for what it's worth, I suppose. Uh, is He's the third mayor making an endorsement. Um, people are speculating it's going to be Ed Rendell is going to be endorsed for Becca Reinhardt. Three mayoral endorsements is nothing to sleep on. These are like three of the most contrasting mayors of, a, of the moment. Ed Rendell is nothing like Nutter. Nutter is definitely nothing like Street. So for all three of them to have a common consensus around Rebecca, I do think says something. Um, I mean, it is a notable, distinguished fact that, you know, look, I got the endorsements of three mayoral candidates. And honestly, the three recent mayors, because no one wants a Mayor Kenny endorsement. I mean, do anyone want a Kenny endorsement? Does a Kenny endorsement hold any weight in 2023 for anything? I mean, my goodness, he couldn't even endorse himself without people not taking it seriously. But I digress. So they're fighting. They're, they're, they're fighting. The, the, the boys are fighting. Um, we're going to see how this process plays out. But it just seems like finally the mayor's race is getting hot, like hot, hot. Now the gloves are coming off because we're in the final leg, people. This is the part where folks stop spending much time trying to get endorsements and fundraising. We're about to get to the point in the story where it's time for people to just declare. So at this mayoral candidates forum in Philly, I'm looking forward to seeing how that's going to play out. But a lot is going down. But I'm going to tell you this, this breaking news I just got. There is the largest protest-related settlement in Philadelphia history. These lawyers who are a part of this was Kevin Mincy, who I know, um, Marnie Jo Snyder, she's a part of it, and Michael Cord. Now, there is a record $9.25 million settlement that was secured from Philadelphia, City of Philadelphia by civil rights attorneys for police abuses that occurred on 676 and in West Philadelphia during the 2020 protests following the murder of George Floyd. On March 20, 2023, Philadelphia trial civil rights attorneys Paul and Hesseker Esquire, Kevin Mincy Esquire, Riley Ross Esquire, Marnie Joe Snyder Esquire and Michael Court Esquire will join with co-counsel to announce the settlement of four lawsuits for a record total of $9.25 million. Those lawsuits included Hugh Ital versus City of Philadelphia Ital, which was filed on behalf of 237 plaintiffs and three other lawsuits, all four of which were filed after the protests against police brutality and in support of racial justice took place in Philadelphia on May 31st and June 1st of 2020. The total of 9.25 million is the largest amount ever paid by the Philadelphia's of the city of Philadelphia in a lawsuit resulting from a mass protest. Also the city of Philadelphia connection with the lawsuit filed by the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, has agreed to commit $500,000 to a fund that will provide counseling to victims of police violence. Quote, To hold the city and the Philadelphia Police Department accountable for these brutal attacks, Kevin, Riley, Marnie, Joe, Michael, and I formed a team of social justice lawyers involving our four law firms within days of these attacks. After more than two years of intense negotiations, we are proud to be able to announce a historic settlement, says Paul Heckenzimmer. 
The Hugh plaintiffs represented a broad swath of Philadelphia, including residents of West Philadelphia, students, teachers, workers, veterans, and clergy. The attorney and some clients will, will be will be present at a press conference on March 20th at 11 a.m. at the Paul Robeson House and Museum at 4949 Walnut Street, Philadelphia, to make a statement and answer questions. Now, that is in West Philly. That's not too far from me. I definitely want to see what the tea is. Media going to be all over the place. I am going to stay my black ass home. But I'm happy to get this information so that people can, you know, be aware of what's going on. They didn't they didn't found a settlement, y'all. Y'all y'all heard it here first. Um but it's interesting that this is now taking place because you know, um what's what's happening here, you know? It's 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 an interesting situation altogether when you're thinking about some of the work that's happening some of the impact that i mean two years later here we are seeing settlements and seeing you know lawsuits i've been wondering what was happening there a lot of people thought that you know there was no real case um no i mean all of that line that came from the department to me i mean this is embarrassing 9.25 million dollars of our public taxpayers dollars that basically that's why the Philadelphia Police Department has all that money. Is it because they're trying to, they, they need a lot of money for these lawsuits? Like $9.25 million? Because y'all want to tear gas innocent people? I'm just going to leave it there. Choices, people. Choices. So there is this... Um, so I'm, I want to talk about a couple of movies now um, and things going on because there's so much happening in Philly politics and also locally and also nationally. I mean, you know, the, 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 our, our president, our former president might be getting arrested this week and I'm just still processing that. But there is a movie I did catch up on and some TV shows, some music. So Swarm, I watched it. It's on Amazon Prime. Um, the lead actress is who I am in favor of, not Chloe. Chloe's not the lead actress, thank God. Um, I thought she was good. Um, I want to make sure I get, I say her name. But Dominique Fishback, um, they're saying that, everyone is saying that basically this is about the Beehive and Beyonce fan and fandom, um, which is interesting. But Dominique Fishback is the lead actress, and she's so good. Um, she plays, you know, quote, the world's biggest and most murderous Beyonce superfan in Swarm, a blood splattered pop culture provocation from creators Janine Neighbors and Donald Glover. Her Houstonian character Dre is willing to max out credit cards for concert tickets. I'm reading um, from Roger and Ebert. They gave it a three and a half star review, which isn't bad. Um, but they describe it as um, her Houstonian character Dre is willing to max out credit cards for concert tickets just as much as she's ready to murder online trolls to defend the celebrity's honor. It matters only for legal reasons that the singer uh, Fishback's Dre is obsessed with is actually referred to in this prime video limited series as um, Najah not Beyonce, but the opening words before each episode as abrasive as other things in this In Your Face limited series say plenty, quote, this is not a work of fiction. Any similarity to actual persons living or dead or actual events is intentional. See, so so it is, I mean, 
let's be clear. They 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 want the smoke. They knew what they were doing. First of all, anything with with Donald Glover's name on it is always going to be in some mess. No shade. I mean, Atlanta, all the references. I mean, this is intentional. It's clearly about Beyonce. Chloe's in it. Um, everyone's been talking about the first, like, goddamn, what, five minutes of the damn show when Chloe is in this sex scene with Damson Idris, who everyone thinks is cute. He's cute, but, you know, everybody, I, I don't know. I think he's overrated. I mean, he looks nice. He's a nice guy. Snowfall, I guess. But they just really react like he's like, I don't know, Daniel Kaluuya, which I think is, is a nice looking guy. But, you know, it's, it's, he's no Jonathan Majors, which is nothing to be shady for. Everybody has their purpose. Um, but I just think that sometimes, I don't know. But anyway, he's in his sex scene with Chloe. We don't see Chloe per se. We see the back of her. Um, and this girl can't get a break. Um, I, I, you know, Chloe, I don't, I, it's just, I just wish we was talking about the music and not talking about Chris Brown and not talking about these other things. I, I just, I don't want to sound worried for her. I just, I just feel like she's in this space where it's a lot of things that's getting attention, but I don't necessarily know if it's the type of longstanding attention that's going to help elevate her career. And she's so talented. And I feel like we're not talking about Chloe's talent. We're talking about a thousand other things around Chloe. And I and I and I and I don't know like if that's because I do know the industry likes to create hysteria and, and hype, and so people are trying to say oh just the internet, but I'm like mm, I've been around to know that there that a lot of these things are doing is attempting to drive traffic and in, in interest. There is some I I personally believe that there is a team that is in the industry backing Chloe or supporting Chloe. I don't think it may be her immediate team. But, you know, she's signed all these different contracts, and I think that they are trying to make her, and she is a certain degree, but this this pop cultural, you know, moment that isn't just about movies, but just like, we're not just about music, but just talking about her in a different light. And I think to some degree that can be good, but then in some degree it can be overexposure. And so I'm just worried that Chloe might get along the lines of being overexposed. That's just what I'm thinking. I, I'm not saying she's not talented. There's no questionnaire for me. I'm just wondering if she's going to suffer from overexposure. Like, I think Meg took that break, Meg Thee Stallion, and I think I was great for her to take that break because at one point it just felt like we were seeing Meg Thee Stallion everywhere, everywhere, being everything, everywhere, all at once. And it was like, okay, this is a lot of Meg, but the music wasn't... I mean, she did drop a second album eventually, but... You know, at some point, you're just like, okay, so many celebrities that you see on everything, you're like, all right, I, I need, what what's going on? So, where's the new album? I mean, this Swarm, this movie, whatever, but apparently the new album's going to be coming out later on in March, this month. So, we do got this upcoming Friday, whatever. She announced tour dates. It seems like a small tour date schedule, which makes me believe that she's going to actually be opening for Beyonce. I think that. I could be completely wrong, but I feel like because of how short... Her tour schedule is and and small. It just seems like the tour isn't going to it's a little mini tour as a little warm-up. But she's gonna actually be doing most of the tour and promotion of this album on the Renaissance tour. That's my theory. Could be wrong, but whatever. She had an album cover release drop. Um the album cover is is an album cover. Um I mean that that that's what I'll say. Um, I was 
you know, her rationale for why she has the cover is, I suppose, a lot, or I guess it's coming. She hasn't announced when the album's coming. She just announced, you know, the cover itself. Um, but the album's called In Pieces. I thought it was called In Pisces, because I thought it was going to come out during Pisces season. But now that's not happening, clearly. So we'll see. We'll see what's going on. We'll see what's going on. Um, now, I do want to say this, though. I listened to Endless Summer Vacation, um, the new Miley Cyrus album. And listen, justice for Endless Summer Vacation. I know people thought that there should be some more depth and things. Listen, Miley Cyrus, I, I know, and, and you listen, she's the one artist, I will say this, that in spite of all of the cancellation and the problems that she was having, Baby Girl always produced good music. It, it was always good music. It wasn't, let me clarify that. It wasn't the right music, but it was always a bop. The girl has bangers in her. I mean, no pun intended. She does have bangers. That album Bangers, as problematic as it was, it was Bangers. Now, someone said something. It was uh, Quinetta Brunson, who recently got, you know, one of these little internet people together. Somebody was trying to lie on her whole narrative around charter schools. And she was just like, child, that's not what I said. That's not what it is. Let me get you together. West Philly style. So Quinetta Brunson, um, Quinta, Quinta Brunson. I always say her name wrong. I always say Quinetta. I knew people was going to catch it. Quinta. Quinta Brunson, um, <laughs> Quinetta. I know someone named Quinetta in real life. Don't judge me. I grew up in Houston. But Quinta Brunson, okay, because they, they names almost like sound the same or it was spelled the same. Anyway, Quinta Brunson got um, someone together um, on social media and it was this weird like exchange. Really, the person was just trying to act like, I'm going to say this again, you know, uh, Abbott Elementary stuff. It was just this whole thing. And so she responded back saying, like, listen, that's not true. I went to public school, you know, and at one point someone went to charter school and I did have a charter school experience. And she was saying, just because you like something, that doesn't mean it can't be critiqued. And that stuck with me because that's exactly what I tell people that, listen, you can like the things you like, but you have to recognize that when they're being called into question critique. Now, let's be clear. You can't be just liking everything, okay? I, I don't think you could be like, I love R. Kelly, but he deserves to be critiqued. I'm sorry, that, nah, bro, you gotta get out of here with that. But like, there are some situations, even Kanye at this point, I'm sorry. Don't be telling me Kanye is a genius. Like, child, get out of here with that. But there are some situations, certain artists that I do think you know, might have their weird moments, but you have to. Now, one artist that I'm starting to get annoyed with personally, and I'm digressing, but not really, is Sam Lacey. He's gay or queer, but he's black, but he's anti-black as fuck, and he's queer. He's like, he said that he he's gay, but I guess he would not date other black men. Like, he just won't do that. Like, he was just very adamant and talking about preference. Yeah, that's anti-black, and that's weird as fuck. Whenever I hear other black people saying that they just won't talk to other black people, especially like without, like, what are you, what, what are you saying? Like, that's just like, when people make those declarations like that, it's, it's like, mm, tell us more. And, and what are you saying? Especially as a black person, like, if you, like, it's, mm, I just thought it was weird, but that's one weird thing. You would think that's the one thing. Nope. He goes into these other moments where he antagonizes black joy on social media. So like there was a post, as you know, the Vanity Fair Prize, a bunch of black people who took a picture together, mind their own black ass business. And and, and, and anti-black Sam Lacey decides 
he wants to caption a photo and say, I wonder if they all were told to go in the room and take this for diversity or something. And it's like, dude, shut the fuck up. They, I mean, I don't get... I don't get people like that where it's like, okay, look, if you don't like black people or you don't like dating black men and that's your thing and you want to be with white folks all day, if that's how you feel about yourself, child, go do you and go fuck yourself. I just feel like bothering the other folks, though, who are clearly comfortable and, and have their own vibe is like now you're being like a right wing troll. Like, are you Candace Owens' abandoned like stepbrother? Like, I just think that's the part that gets me. It's like, okay, if you have your little opinion that no one asks for, and your own little preference, go be fucking, you know, doing that somewhere. But to be so hell-bent on antagonizing black folks that could care less what you fucking think, I think that's just kind of basic. So, I don't know. Not really crazy about Sam Lacey. But, you know, um, Bad Habits is a cute song. I don't know if I can hear it in the same way now that, uh, that I know this about him. But one could argue that, hey, you could like that song, and he's definitely worth critique. Or like Daniel Caesar, you know, I think he's, you know, there's some issues over there. You can listen to that music, but you know he should be critiqued. Same for Jacquees. Anybody listen to Jacquees? I don't listen to Jacquees or Jacquez or whatever. That guy is just, where are the vocals, kid? But I feel like abusers or men who are consistently being accused of abuse, like a Trey Songz, I just feel like, you know, that's a little bit too far for me. Same for Dave Chappelle. But again, I wrote the book on cancel culture. So I guess my 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 tolerance level may be a little different. But I say all this to say that in the summer vacation, a lot of the, the, the critics are mixed about it. They feel like she didn't go enough in depth. Listen, sometimes you just want to make an album that just sound good and feel good. I, you know what's funny? I've been reading some of the reviews and it's not that people are saying that the album isn't like sonically good. They're just saying like, oh, you know, there's no elevator. Listen, she just wanted to give people return to form. It is a nice summer bop album. It's springtime is here. It's pre-summer music. It's summer music. It's just the bop. She got some really good synth pop songs. It just sounds good. feels good. Because let me tell you something. You know, um, she she took other risks musically last time. And, and none of y'all showed up at the Grammys and nominated her for anything. You know, um, y'all got to y'all gotta keep that energy. You know, everyone wants to, you know, Miley Cyrus is done um all types of music lately and nobody is oftentimes talking about um some of the you know some of the music she's done in the past couple years even though i felt like um they are some of her best music um like she's taking she's taking risks um in the past you know change it up but i think she just wanted to go into the model. So she had an album that came out in 2020 because of the pandemic. It didn't get much buzz. It was called Plastic Hearts. And then she had the album Younger Now, which I like Younger Now. I personally like Younger Now. Now, that album, Miley Cyrus and Her Dead Pets, it was just random and, and pointless. Bangers was, I mean, oh my God, this year is the 10th anniversary of Bangers? You mean Wrecking Ball is 10 years old? We Can't Stop is a decade old? I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to be quiet. But she's been making music for a while. Like I said, I like Endless Summer. Um, I found a good Endless Summer Vacation. I, I thought it was a bop. Um, it comes in, apparently, on Billboard uh, Hot 200 um, at number three on the charts, apparently. It's going to be number three on the charts. Um, SZA is still doing her thing. Um, Morgan Wallen is 
you know, that country singer who, if you read my book, I discussed him in depth. He said the N-word um, out one night. It was almost canceled, but now it appears that he is still, you know, you know, he's still doing his thing. Um, he's at number one. Says at number four, um, this group called uh, Twice um, is their album rated B is number two on the Billboard uh, 200. So it's a, it's a lot of different artists making different types of moves or whatnot. So we're I'm curious to see how that's going to play out. Um, but yeah, I like the album. I I found it fun. So as far as TV goes, oh my goodness, I've been in Abbott Land. This recent episode of Abbott has been phenomenal. It is the real episode that confronts the charter school conversation. So I've been all into that. Bel Air, oh my God, Bel Air, oh my goodness. Bel Air is like, okay, for people that watch Bel Air on Peacock, which I've been interested in other shows on Peacock, but let me just say this about Peacock. I must say that every time you think the show, that show plays on my emotional strings. Every time I think things are going to be happy and everything's going well, there's like the last like 30 seconds when then everything just goes, what the fuck? Everybody who I thought was trustworthy is a snake. Somebody's going to backstab somebody. Damn, I got to watch the next episode because just when I thought everybody was in cahoots trying to be good people, they're actually not good people. Everything isn't happy. And I just feel like that's how they do it. So the drama is there's always like high intensity and, and, and a lot of heightened you know, you know, tension and then everybody typically follow in line and love each other and everyone's doing good by each other. And then there's this moment where you're like, oh shit, there's some snake shit still going on. That is literally Bel Air every week. And I love it. Um it fills my it fills my 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 uh, my enthusiasm. So that is great, of course. Um Secession is coming this week, this Sunday. Secession returns. When I tell you I haven't been more excited for a TV show. Secession is my favorite show on TV, y'all. Um, when it comes out, like I'm into Secession really much, so I can talk about these characters. I overanalyze them. I've watched every episode of Secession more than two times. Like that's how committed I am. This is the final season, the fourth and final season, which I'm a little pissed. Like I said, I thought this show could have like about maybe two more seasons. Um, six seasons, in my opinion. I think they would have stopped that season six. But the stop at four is giving me breaking bad energy where they went in on the bang. So I guess, you know, we're tired of these rich white people. I'm personally not. But I guess people are. I don't know. But I'm, I'm, I'm here to see what Siobhan, um, what, 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 you know, the, the gang is going to do, you know. Um, because it is so much, um, going on in, in succession. And, the last episode, the final, you know, when, you know, my favorite, one of my favorite characters on the show, which, as you know, is Tom. At the very end, when he go up to him and says, is everything okay? I said, whoop, give him the Emmy. And he won the Emmy. Um, but Kendall, Logan, Siobhan, Roman, Greg, which is a, just a very understated character, but really great. Um, Tom, Connor, the, the whole family. This is a fucked up family, and it's dark comedy at its best, but I cannot wait to see it next week, next week, next Sunday, if you didn't know. What came back this Sunday that got me excited, I'm clutching my pearls, I'm all in, Power Book 2, oh my God, the first episode of this new season, this is like season four, uh, or no, season three, this is season three. I have to keep, I have to remember, I think this is season three, yes. Season three, just want to say, again, one of those shows where literally the last 30 seconds, maybe 15 seconds, 
Because I was trying to time it. Like the last like 15 seconds of the show of this episode made my mouth drop and everything I thought I thought was going to happen, everything I thought I knew definitely was not there. All I will say is, this is what I will say about this. If a person, if you did not see a person on that show get physically killed, then that means that they could be alive. I don't want to tell anything more. If you know what I'm talking about, I didn't want to put a spoiler alert, but I'm just saying that that is the kind of show where unless you see the person shot in cold blood and killed on the on, on camera, unless you see a person die on camera with your own eyes, then anything could, ha- could, could happen. That That's all I'm going to say about that show. It's very gangster. Mary J. Blige is back. The acting, I mean, she is an Oscar-nominated actress. What am I to say? She's a two-time Oscar nominee. Best original song, best supporting actress for Mudbound a couple years ago. So what am I to say about her acting? But I enjoy her acting on this show. It's, it's fun. It's fun. So another show I've been watching is My Other Guilty Pleasure, Baddies West. Y'all know I love it. I mean, I, I shouldn't be recommending, I wouldn't say I shouldn't be recommending, but I don't recommend most people to watch it because it's it, it does require a level of uh, suspended disbelief. You know, it, you have to take out common sense. But, you know, it's a ratchet show on Zeus. And, you know, like I said, it's up for critique. Critique it away. I critique it all the time when I watch it. But I, I do find it to be uh, quite entertaining. But the show that really has gotten me this week and I didn't even know it was, and, and I'm not, and I was going to say at first, why no one told me? But I was like, no, because I, I do have a lot of things going on. So I caught up on it. Queen's Court on Peacock. Now, you've probably been, you know, what I'm upset about is that there's been too many spoiler alerts about the show already on the Shade Room and other blog sites. So I'm a little annoyed with that aspect, but I've been watching it. I'm highly entertained. So this show has Nivea, who is the woman who sung the famous song, If You Mess With My Man. And she also performed a song, well, background vocals, Been So Long, for that song with Mystical, you know, um, so called Danger. Remember that? Danger! And she was in the background. So Nivea is, we're going to give Nivea her props. If you all were millennials in that early phase, y'all remember Nivea. She has now become famous as being one of Lil Wayne's baby mamas, but we're not going to do that to her. That was an R&B artist that had a moment, had a hot hit, had a career. She was with the Dream too. She she dated some hip hop heavyweights. Um, very pretty and was very popular back in the uh, early two thousands when when there was more black R&B artists having a moment compared to now. Um, but yes, yeah, she was dope. So she's on the show looking for love. Um, who else is oh uh, Evelyn Rosado who used to date Ocho Cinco which was married to Ocho Cinco for like a couple of days they didn't last long um she's come out that she's been an abusive she was an abusive relationship with him and you know what's one of the most disgusting actual songs in music is called a song called Ocho Cinco by French Montana it was something like oh a uh, girl give me head Ocho Cinco it's a song disgusting song horrible song because they're referencing an, an incident where um, Evelyn was a, an abusive encounter with um, Ocho Cinco. He headbutted her, and that was the notorious. Like it was a very, he was very violent, and he headbutted her, and that's when she de- decided to leave leave him, and she left the house. And it was very violent, and there was a song 
a rap song, I believe it's by French Montana, called Ocho Cinco, referencing head in a, in, a, in a double entendre where they were referring to oral sex, but then it was also referencing really the head part of, of, of Ocho Cinco headbutting Evelyn. Very disgusting song, very horrible. And that's why I just really can't with French Montana. Like, did you know that? Fun fact that that's what the song was about. Probably didn't, but maybe it also wasn't much of a hit anyway, so you probably didn't know. But French Montana is trash. Thought that song was horrible. And this is what I mean by like how people will support misogyny, misogynoir music subliminally. And, and, it's, and of course, rappers know what they're doing. They think that's catchy and cute. But, you know, everyday, everyday people, um, no, that's not the case. So it's, it's, it's a lot, um, you know, um, that's going on. Um, yeah, it's called Ocho Cinco. It's with French Montana, Los, and MGK. That was that song. And that song came out in 2012, so it, it's it's been out for 11 years. Um, but that was around the time that incident happened. Around that time, so it's it's, a, it's just just in poor taste completely. Um, so that happened. Um, but back to the other person. The other person is Tamar Braxton. Tamar Braxton has had a bunch of up and down relationships over the years, of course, since her divorce. So the three of these women are out to find Mr. Right. It gives flavor of love energy, but a sophisticated, mature flavor of love, meaning that on this show, the aggressive man doesn't get picked. The, the men on this show are really mild, man, and respectful. They're passionate, but they're like not fighting each other and throwing tables. It's a very civil show, but the conversations and the personalities is what drives it. It's very funny, but it's also like, I mean... You know, dating shows are always like a mess, but this is a very, I, I can appreciate the pace of the show. So like there's levels to it. There's like 21 men that they're going to, they're going through, not necessarily sexually, but like attractive and trying to navigate. And what's happening is, is that every, once they get to the, they got to the fight, like the first three episodes, they're, they're like meeting the men seven at a time because 21 men all at once would be a lot. So I think they're like meeting like, Four, I think they start with 14 and then they focus on seven at a time. So it was like a pace, pace, pace. So they weed out the 27 to get to like about 15 or final 14, I believe. And then it becomes that process of the nation. So I've been watching. It's like been 10 episodes um, of the show. Um, found out who's with who. But the, the thing about it is that they go on. They get to pick four dates each episode. Each of them go on four dates. And then they then take... They choose four men that they think are just not bringing it or on the border. They eliminate two out of four of those men. And then that's how the show keeps going. But it's good. It's 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 highly entertaining. It's a very mature, grown-ass dating show. It's not The Bachelor. It's not corny like that. It's it's there's no stupid activities. It's just mostly, you know how some of these shows have you know dumb contests. No, it's about connections and, and vibes and they're having some really good conversations. The women are being very open, vulnerable about their dating life. And I found it fun how very candid they are about men and sex. I love the show. I, I think it's a, it's a really good dating show. I was surprised, but I heard a little bit about it, but it is very good. So, yeah, that's 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 everything. So, um, I know this episode is super long, but... I wanted to make sure people was filled up to date. It is a mega episode and there is a lot going on. And, you know, you know, as I begin to travel and have experiences, I just, you know, want to talk more and more. So 
Um, can't wait to know what y'all think about this latest episode. And as always, be well and be best. Earnestly Speaking is recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. To stay up to date with the latest on the show, follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mr. Ernest Owens. Use the hashtag Earnestly Speaking to tell me what you thought about this episode and check out my website at ErnestOwens.com.